Welcome to This Is Hardcore Podcast. Joe Hardcore, really happy to keep doing these. The response has been great. Very appreciative for those who reach out on social media. Remember, again, you can hit us up on the Instagram and the Facebook, but I don't only check Facebook, Twitter, etc. And just give some feedback. There's some real good constructive criticism as well as just me understanding what people like most from these episodes. Especially now that we are on our 11th episode, starting to get a better uh, feel for the rhythm and the vibe of what people are checking out. And not that people don't like things that they don't talk about, but I can kind of feel what really hits home. And I definitely believe that this episode in particular is going to hit home on all those very same marks. All right, folks, I want to talk about GHS strings. Straight out of Michigan, American-made guitar strings for electric and acoustic and for bass. They support Agnostic Front. They sponsor Rancid, the best goddamn punk band in the planet, and America's finest hardcore band, Agnostic Front. Big shout-out to Craig, Mike Gallo, and Vinny Stigma. Since 1964, GHS Strings has been balancing tradition and innovation together by winding electrical guitar strings with playability and tone in mind. Whether it's using round core wire in many of their string specs, packaging every string in their innovative nitro pack envelopes, or using a wide range of materials, their end goal is clear, to provide the best electric guitar string to inspire you. Their tagline is, play with the best, and there ain't no one better than Rancid and Agnostic Front. Go out there, ghsstrings.com, or go to a music store and get a pack and tell them this is Hardcore Podcast told you to do so. The last couple episodes I've been talking about Don't Stand in Line docuseries, brought to us by Anthony Moreshi, who's better known as Wrench, who sang in Ten Yard Fight, Impact, and Stand and Fight. He's going to be our guest next week, but his docuseries is currently on pre-sale. You can find it at codecprojects.com. C-O-D-E-C projects on Instagram. It's basically set up in a format not unlike a Netflix where it's four separate episodes uh, detailing the ability for DIY and inspiration to bring out the creative and entrepreneurial aspects of different folks within the hardcore scene. Our first guest, Chris Wren from Bridge Nine on episode one and Sonny Singh of Hate Five Sick episode two are two guests that are on the show. I'm very excited for this, and I have already pre-ordered mine, and I hope that you do as well. He will be our guest next week on 11:20, which is the day it will be released. So if you go to the website, you go to the Instagram, and you pre-order on November 20th, you'll get the digital download link and check it out. This is very DIY. It's self-funded by him. So hardcore people doing hardcore shit, talking about cool stuff. That's what we're all about on this podcast, and I'm really excited to have him on next week. His story's great, and we had a really good chat. So support now and check out his episode next week. I'm really excited for the rest of this year as far as podcast guests that we have coming up. For me, I've been recording a lot of episodes in advance and kind of banking them. And by banking them, I mean that I record them. I've already got a queue of episodes that are being edited and then I'm getting ready to put out, and then I have new ones that are recorded that I gotta work on. Doing everything myself from the recording process, scheduling the guests, doing the graphics, and doing all the sound editing. So anything that's crappy, you gotta blame me for it. It's all on me. And the banking allows me to record a bunch, and then I feel like I am getting better with each one and getting more excited with each one. But I'd also like to make sure that the ones that I have recorded will be out 
not only on schedule, but that we can fit them all within the time frame of the end of 2020. So with Thanksgiving approaching, Anthony Moreshi next Friday will be on Friday. And then I'm going to release three episodes, one every five days to kind of cover us through the Thanksgiving Day holiday. I know some people have off from work. Maybe they got a long drive, you know, or maybe they're sitting home because of COVID and they have the time. So we're going to try to fit three episodes in a two-week span, so to speak, and see how that works. And I'm going to need feedback from you on the social media to say, hey, you're releasing too many, or hey, I like the speed of this. This is uh, a way that we can get as many great guests. And also we had two episodes that fell a little bit under the very long two-and-a-half, three. So maybe we can digest them all. But I'll need your feedback to let me know, hey, Joe, you're fucking up. This is too much. I can't catch up. Yada, yada, yada. So I'm excited for this one, and I can't wait to see how people react because if you like them coming out every five days or so, that would be a schedule that I can maybe work out. Or who knows? Maybe I'll say fuck you and we'll keep it on the Fridays. Our guest today is Salem Vex Bloodbather. This is someone who I am not really socially close to before this conversation, and afterwards I have an immense respect and I feel a kinship, and I feel like there's so many similarities in the way that we grew up and the way that we look at things that we've built a bond over this interview. Salem and Bloodbather showed up at This Is Hardcore 2019 on the Thursday at the pre-show. I was really happy that they would decide to come all the way from Florida just to play on the Friday. Bloodbather sounds like a modern take on the late 90s and mid-2000s metalcore sound. For me, I saw the video on Twitter, people were going fucking nuts, and I'm like, who is this black kid wearing makeup, in a dress, absolutely fucking shredding, like something out of like Nine Inch Nails, and it was incredible to see, and checking him out on Twitter, we had a lot of interactions and jokes and such back and forth, and I just wanted to spice This Is Hardcore up with a band that didn't fit into a traditional role as far as the sound goes, especially with some of the bands that we had that night. I knew that Bloodbather was going to kick it off, and anybody who was at the show that night will tell you that Bloodbather had an amazing set, and I was really happy and impressed by them. In this conversation, we go from his earliest times to all the stuff that he is teaching himself, and there are so many great lessons and a lot of inspiration in, in how he overcome being poor and from a single family, and it's an incredible story that goes beyond some kid who's just in some metal band and their own Rise Records. Some motherfucker is as DIY as it can get, still hustling, still making it happen, and not only in the metal world, but also now touching on hip-hop. And there's a lot to be said about someone who just keeps pushing forward. You know, where there's a will, there's a way. And this episode is fantastic. It's a longer one. Break it up in pieces, as I tell you. It's definitely worth listening to the whole goddamn thing. So hope you enjoy it. Take care. Talking to my friend Salem Vex from Bloodbather. If people have not seen the video from This Is Hardcore, you got to check it out. This was a band that I had been introduced via the internet and was mystified by because if you listen to them, there's so much from the early 2000s, yet they have a fresh take. and having them on this hardcore was something I didn't think that they were really going to be interested in doing. And I was actually pretty surprised when they were really psyched and they ended up being one of my favorite sets of the year. So 
Salem, thank you for coming on the show. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you for that introduction. Um, I imagine, and I say this often about bands from uh, South Florida, specifically Texas, and a lot of places that are just outside the reach of a lot of the tour tracks, that it's a little hard for some bands to just get into the mix. But Bloodbather has a shorter lifespan than some of the bands we've had on here so far. And you guys have been just absolutely crushing it. And uh, I, I really want to get into that. But I think it's best if we start with you. I mean, uh, in every press and everything that I've read on your band, the presentation is that you are the guitarist, but you're the band leader and you are at the the uh, access of creation for this. So where where in your life do you think whether it was a piece of music or something that really drew you to the heavier kind of music, like what kind of music did you have coming up? And then what kind of music was the first exposure to something heavier? All right. So coming up um, just as a kid, my, my mom was really into like Prince and stuff. Uh, Just like good, good pop, honestly, Uh, Prince and like Michael Jackson. Um, But I got introduced to heavy music pretty early my sister was uh a real big myspace girl so she had all that kind of seeing myspace music going on and then i would go skateboarding and at my local skate park they would play bands like under oath um so those were my two first introductions to to heavier music um after a while i got um kind of like jumped into going to shows because i was a photographer slash videographer for skateboarding and uh the local venue that we had rocket town actually hosted bringing it back for the kids fest, uh, which was our core fest in 2011. And I saw bands like, uh, terror and fucking trapped under ice and shit. And that kind of just changed everything. I was like, wow, this is insane. And honestly, I stopped skateboarding like that year and I was just into shows instantly. Now, were you exposed to any kind of like uh, playing music at home or was it, being exposed to that music made you try to become a musician? Yeah, I actually didn't even try to become a band member until probably like 16. I think that's when I tried playing guitar. Um, I just wanted to go to shows just because I liked the energy. It, it matched. It just matched that energy that I had with skateboarding, that kind of uh, that feeling inside. You know what I mean? The excitement was exactly the same. So that's why I started going to shows a lot. Now, early on um, pre-show behavior and just surroundings, did you feel at home at uh, school before you found music or were you always kind of feeling a fish out of water? Uh, Always fish out of water. Um, When I grew up, I was, um, I went to a Christian school actually. So from pre-K to fifth grade, I was going to uh, this place called Calvary. It was, um, I guess just like a local Christian school and I got uh basically just free because it, it would cost money it was like a private school but I got them free basically because I'm guessing it's just you know because I was black and there was like no black people there but um that was probably one of the reasons why I felt like so fish out of water um it was just kind of a weird environment and I was not into the whole religious thing I didn't really believe it and it was just uh it was very, very strict, and um, 
it felt like a cult at times. So I was, I was super not into school. <laughs> no, I can relate to that. And I think modern ideas on Christianity is that the accepted is that, well, that's a religion, but I have a lot of uh, time reading and I just look at the worship of Jesus and Christianity as a zombie cult. Yeah. And, for, and there's a lot of we get, I don't want to get detracted, but I definitely I, there's so much cultish shit from it. Uh, my mother, because we were in a poor neighborhood, the neighbor, the neighborhood high school wasn't going to be good. So I was forced late into my like early teens to uh, learn Catholicism and take CCD classes as I'm like listening to death metal and deicide because that was the only good school that I could go to would be a high school for like boys or Catholic school. Yeah. But I wouldn't go because I, I was like, I'm not cutting my fucking hair. So I'm with you. <laughs> I, I've always felt like Catholicism was the most accepted cult on the planet. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. We had a uh, Bible class every, I think every day. And then we would have like a chapel thing every Friday. Um, and it's to the point where we would have to memorize. Like I have every single chapter in the Bible like memorized in my head. Like it's stuck. Like I could just recite it that's like how crazy it was. And we would have like SATs on Bible shit, which I always thought that Christianity and going to Christian school would make you the best atheist. Cause you just see through the facade, like within just looking about how, like how stupid it is, honestly. No. And, and I agree. And I feel like there is an indoctrination period and there's a lot of, well, this is what we believe. And it was kind of weird because juxtaposed with my mother pushing me towards CCD was she was an actual active Wiccan at the time. Okay. And I, she had also been pushed through Catholic school in her own teenage time. So I, there's definitely a pushback. If your mindset isn't totally bought in, you're going to feel like this isn't right and I can't buy into it. Exactly. So, that kind of set the platform for what your behaviors with like finding skateboard was skateboarding your first, like kind of rebellion outlet. And that was just a local thing or was there stuff before you found skateboarding? Honestly, it was, it was absolutely skateboarding. Cause I, um, basically my mom would have to work all day and my dad wasn't around. He, he left when I was, uh, very, very young. So, uh, I had to have an after school activity because my mom couldn't pick me up cause she had to work. So I started doing wrestling. And then uh, at the wrestling area, they had a skate park on the other side of the warehouse and we would have to get water or whatever. And the water fountain was on the skate park side. So I literally, I remember the first day I got water, I just saw skateboarding and I was like, this is it. Like, I don't want to do wrestling. Uh, fuck wrestling. This is not what I want to do. I want to go skate. And then I remember I just told my mom, like, I'm skateboarding. Like, I don't care. Like, I need to get a skateboard. And then I just figured it out. And I just started skating, like, instantly. Was that all street stuff? Or did they have, like, a bowl? And, like, uh, like what was the setup for that skate park? Yeah, so it was Rant 48, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, they had, which is actually funny. It's a Christian skate park. <laughs> but, um, which doesn't even make sense, looking back. That doesn't even, whatever. Uh but yeah, they had some vert stuff. So they had like a half pipe. They have a bowl now, but it was like half vert, half street. And I was never really pushed towards, uh, towards the vert stuff. I really like just the street stuff and stairs and just fucking trying to break everything I have. I always think that most people from hardcore punk find either music art or an activity, something like skateboarding as kind of like the first stage of rebellion. Yep. So 
uh, like in, in, in what you said previously about skateboarding leading to finding uh, the Under Oath show and everything. Um, were you ever going to concerts or was it just like the show was like the small show was your first like outlet to live music? Yeah. So shows, shows were definitely the first uh, outlet. I could have, I had many chances with my sister where it was like uh, when I was probably maybe like nine or 10, maybe even earlier, she would go to warp tour and stuff and she would, she would show me the music and stuff. And I was, I was cool with it. And she made me like a MySpace and stuff. So I knew about the music, but I, I was kind of maybe not scared of going to the shows, but like intimidated. Um, it would have been crazy if I went to shows when I was like fucking 10, though. That would be insane. But yeah, like my first introduction really to going to shows was about like 13 at Rocket Town. Where, what, um, I know that's in Fort Lauderdale. Was that mainly for like touring stuff or were there any like local bands that you can remember from when you first uh, stepped in? There was there were some local bands. I don't remember the names of them. They were just like pretty. I mean, I, I remember the local bands that were at bringing it back for the Kids Fest completely. Uh, there was like um, Every Passing Dream, which is another band now. Uh, and then there was a really cool band called like Grenade Face. Um, That's actually were, a like, badass name. Yeah, uh, those were like the two locals on the Bringing It Back for the Kids Fest. But um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really remember the rest of like, kind of the locals. I mean, besides the ones that I got into later on, but I'm saying like the, the first show I went to, not really. Um, we used to travel down to South Florida and we would play a, a variety of venues and through uh, courtesy of John Wiley from Yoji Records. Oh, okay, South- yeah, he's really cool. And and John and I would become like really tight over that kind of stuff. But what was always interesting about going to South Florida was you had to deal with like every kind of human being, like Cubano skinheads. You had to deal with like the remnants of like Warp Tour and MySpace kids with like the swoop and the and the uh, piercing on the lip, and yep. then like just your average dude who looked like he wanted to be in a Madball video shoot. And I've always had like. <laughs> South Florida, if you you see all these palm trees and all this shit, so you're like, oh yeah, that's gonna be really nice. And then you'll definitely see someone get their ass busted. And it's always been like, you know, they don't fuck around down here. And I I always enjoyed the shows because of that. And some of the bands uh we're still in touch with, and it was actually really cool to see you guys kind of pick up and bring something different in this day and age, but still draw from that stuff. And and I was kind of wondering. Um, do you think that because of now that I know that your sister had in, uh, introduced you to your MySpace, do you think a lot of what you would put into your band came from what she showed you, or did you develop that from going to the smaller shows and getting exposed to that world? Definitely, definitely the smaller shows. Um, there's there's some stuff that stuck with me from back in the day, like some funnier type of bands like Bream of the Horizon, I Saw My Phones Fire, bands like that. They kind of stuck with me. Um, but it, the, mostly the band sound came from when I started really diving into, cause I feel like, I guess you could call like hardcore kids. They go through almost every sort of phase of music and then just end up in their, in their scene. You know what I mean? So like you go to the hardcore show and then you start finding about like punk, you go to the punk shows, you find about death metal, you go to the death metal shows. So I just kind of found everything that I liked and basically me and Jeff, which is our old vocalist, 
Um, we just wanted to start a band that sounded like fucking On Broken Wings, 18 Visions, all those bands. So the, the, that was like, I, I can't even say that I grew up listening to those bands because I would be lying. I grew up listening to like funny scene bands. But um, those were the bands that I started to get really, really inspired by. And I was like, wow, this is this is definitely what I want to do. Like it, it was like a passion project. You know what I mean? Now you bring up Jeff and I know that he is no longer the singer, but yeah, I know that you guys are like almost like if there was tag teams on Twitter, you guys would definitely be a fucking Twitter tag team. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and, and early into me being interested in what blood bather was about, I just would see you guys uh, together chatting and doing whatever. How did you run into him? And what was like your first experience running into that maniac? So Jeff, oh my God, Jeff, I first met Jeff because he was just at every single fucking show. Like literally he was like, like me where we would just go to any show, every show. Um, and he would mosh to every single fucking band. When I say every band, I mean, it's like, I mean, you've seen him. It's yeah. every single fucking band and it's, it's insane. So we were both in two other bands and um, we weren't even that close of friends, but we toured. Uh, hold, on, a, hold on, hold on, you guys did a band, but you guys weren't close, and you guys went on tour. What, what was up with that? Okay, okay, no, no. no. So we we're in two different bands. So he was in oh, another okay. band, and then I was in another band, and we did a three-band tour in a fucking fifteen-passenger with no trailer. So what it was, was like, the uh, what was the name of the band? I can't even. I I won't even throw him under the bus. The band is so bad. <laughs> All right, good. I'm with that. I'm with that. <laughs> yeah, no, we're we're we'll uh we'll we'll not talk about those. Um, but we were basically in those bands and we became close on that tour where it was just, we started talking a lot and he was just another person like me where we just dig into music and just, we really, really cared about just fucking going to shows and just having a fun time. Um, so after that tour, basically it was just like, yo, your band sucks. My band sucks. Let's start something that's cool. And it was just like a fun thing at first where it, was, it wasn't serious at all. We recorded, uh, basically, we recorded one song, posted it. Um, like, I just mixed and mastered. He just came over, yelled on it. Um, and then we posted it. And one of my best friends, Nick, uh, who does, like, mixing and mastering, he was like, yo, uh, I have time in two days. If you want to write, like, an, a little EP, you can record it for free. Um, and I was like, yo, what the fuck? Fuck yes. You know what I mean? Because Nick, Nick is super fucking talented. So, basically, within two or three days we wrote an ep went and recorded it and then people just fucking loved it you know what i mean and that that was kind of the start of it i know i i, um, I potentially skipped over linearly uh what was the drive to get you to first play you just wanted to be in a band or were someone looking for someone and you decided to try uh i just i loved like band culture i just really wanted to be in a band i i just it was another reason Another reason was why fucking I just didn't have that much money to go to all the shows and I wanted to get into shows for free too. Like I just okay. wanted to, you know what I mean? Because honestly, that was like the the coolest part about like playing shows when I was a kid. Like I didn't even care about get. Obviously, I didn't care about getting paid, but I just wanted to get into the shows for free. Like definitely the more expensive touring shows that were like fifteen or twenty bucks. I was like, fuck, man, <laughs> I don't have money. I need to play this. So that was like the first thing to kind of get me to be in a band because i would see all my friends are in bands and they would just get into shows for free and i was like fuck that's so sick so you self-taught yeah no completely i uh dude i didn't even have i literally had like no money like i was so broke as a kid that after high school there was a guitar center within walking distance so i would go from high school 
and I would walk to Guitar Center every single day. Um, and I would just play guitar literally until like seven o'clock. So like four to seven. Um, and I would just learn at Guitar Center. Like just, I would just pull up my fucking iPod touch and I would look at tabs and like try to learn how to play some fucking songs. Like I remember the, one of the first songs that I tried learning was, uh, nothing the rat by fucking code orange. And, um, fucking, uh, like I remember like a harm's way song I was trying to learn. Um, so those were like, literally like the, that's how I got into playing music was just going to guitar center. And then just, I think I was playing for a year at guitar center. And then I finally saved up enough money to buy a guitar. Man, that is absolutely inspiring. Um, one of my best friends who ended up being in punishment, Mike Brown had a similar situation where he was a self-taught musician, just like all of us. We were pretty damn poor. Yeah. And he was in the high school band on the uh, percussion and was borrowing a bass. But like I always say about him and it probably about you as well, that I could probably give you like a, a fake instrument and you'll write 10 songs on it if you could, because you just have that creativity and that and like the natural feel of it and i always am inspired when i hear somebody say like i didn't have money but i still taught myself because one of the things that always grabs me in today's time is you see uh, like a 17 year old kid with like a brand new full stack and you're like where the fuck yeah did, like where the fuck did he get that money from literally and, uh, uh similarly if you talk to old school like really old school guys like guys are playing like 1983 they're, these guys didn't have money either. They would all like, there was like, Hey, can you bring your cabinet? Cause that was it. Otherwise the show wouldn't happen. So yep. the fucking great beginning. So you're teaching yourself to play and we won't bring up. I also will never tell somebody the name of the first band I was in. So I'm on your team. Fuck telling you. <laughs> um, yeah. So you get in your first band, you meet up with Jeff. You're like, Hey, like, you know, our bands fucking suck. Did you guys tour far or was it just like a short tour? How, what was that tour about? So that tour was basically like a five or six day run. Uh, it Holy wasn't shit. long at And all. you guys were like, fuck this. We got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was honestly, that was, I mean, it was good. That, I think everybody's first tour should be fucking awful because then it can only get better from there. So that tour was fucking terrible. It was like literally one of the, the worst fucking tours of my life. I didn't sleep the entire time. Um, everybody was sick. It was just awful. You know what I mean? But it was like, I didn't care at the time. I thought it was fucking sick. Like I, I was just like, dude, I want to do this, blah, blah, blah. So then Bloodbather was basically, um, so Jeff quit his old band, uh, right. Honestly, right. When we were recording the album, like he, he played, this was the funniest fucking story. He played a show with his band and we were supposed to record. And I was like, dude, don't fucking blow out your voice during your show. Cause you have to record afterwards. Like, literally, just, just don't even give a fuck. So, apparently, at the show, like, he hardly even screamed or anything. Like, he was just chilling. <laughs> so, he could record later with, like, a fresh voice. So, after we recorded that, he was done with that band. I was still in my old band. And Bloodbather was a good way for us to get $100 or $150 guarantee on a tour. So, it was uh, my old band headlining and then Bloodbather playing with my old band. And we would tour like that and it would just be uh, like exchanging members where it was like five people and we would all just play in both bands. Right. Um, so that was like the only way that we could sustainably tour and get like enough money to go to the next place, get a hundred dollars, 150 bucks. Um, so that was like the, another usage of Bloodbather was, okay, well now 
two bands could tour and we would pull up to the venue and they'd be like this is both the bands and we're like yeah like (laughs) fuck you know what i mean so that was that was like a that was another reason why to do blood bather was to actually be able to tour with two bands and get enough guarantee money to like sustain being on the road what's interesting and you brought them up earlier um at one point a lot of 18 visions members were also throwdown members so they did a tour in like the summer of 2000 i believe where might have been the summer of 2000 or the summer of 2001 where they straight up pulled up in a van and it was like both bands but it wasn't enough dudes to be in both bands yeah and um for the same reason they shared members now you were going on these tours was this stuff that you guys were booking yourselves or did you guys have like a, like a small agent like how did you get the access to be able to do the tours all DIY. It's always awesome. been literally everything's always been DIY with with like Bud Bather, even like recording almost to this day, like everything is still just in my room, in my boxers, like fucking we would post on Facebook, Twitter, blah blah blah. We need these state books, blah blah blah. Um, it was always DIY. Um, we didn't even I don't to this day, we've never even had a booking agent. That's <laughs> so amazing. and that's great. It's, yeah, it's always been like uh until we need that's that's my mindset with shit is like until i need somebody to do something i'm going to fill that role where it was like i would do our music videos i would do fucking everything because it was just like until i can't do this i'm gonna do it because i'd rather save the money and not be in debt because i've seen so many fucking bands get in debt somehow i don't even know how you do that but um, i think it's a lot of what you are touching on like it's easy to be in a band to some degree because yeah. There's always people willing to say, hey, why don't you let me book you and then I'll get you this amount of money. And so the process is sped up for certain people. Yeah. They don't see the loss of income because they're paying someone to do it. Now, dropping back, how was your local scene when you're starting Bloodbather? Like what kind of bands were around? And uh, were you able like uh, were, how, how soon after starting Bloodbather were you able to play with like the bands that would come through on tour? In your hometown, honestly, pretty quick. I remember our our first show was with uh, Galjoy and Guilty Conscience. Um, that was like John McHale booked that one. Uh, that was like our first show. The local bands at the time, there was a lot of cool bands. I mean, I, looking back, there was like Blistered is like one of the reasons, honestly, why I started Bloodbather because I loved that sound. Yeah, um, awesome. Yeah, there's a band called Hitlist, um, Drawing Last Breath. Um, the other bands at the time were like, uh, fuck, I'm trying to remember. Um, Drawing Last Breath, Elegy, XLGX, um, A Needle in the Nail, which is Kyler's old band who does vocals for us now. Um, those were like the main bands that I, I really paid attention to, uh, paid attention to. But around the time when we started, those were those were the bands that were really like pushing it in the local scene. Now, were you able to uh, play beyond South Florida and Florida, or did you guys have to kind of have to just play like one show and then you're trying to get out of state? We we played a couple South Florida. We were honestly just getting on any show in the beginning. Honestly, we were just fucking, we just wanted to play shows. So we played that first show. And then I remember we played a show uh, the day later, like some random fucking punk show in Miami uh, at this venue called The Granary. Um, then we were just trying to play really just any show. Like we played like a funny scene show right afterwards. Um, and like 
February, like 2016, I think it was. We were just trying to play any show, but we did a tour uh, in the summer of that year where we hit all the way up to New York and down. Like we went the whole East Coast. When you were doing that tour, what were some of the bands that were playing up this way? Honestly, I could not even name. Like they were very, very small bands that aren't even in like this genre. Like it was, it was mostly like, I guess you would call them like new metal bands or deathcore bands, uh, like all local bands that are now even just not even bands anymore. Um, I can't, I really honestly couldn't even name. It was like the, the whole lineups were basically like my old band, Bloodbather, and then like one other band was like the entire lineup of the show for a lot of the shows. Well, one of the things that people may not realize is that because of the aesthetics and the sound of Bloodbather is that you guys are really comfortable in any environment. And that was something that I had to learn exactly. when I asked you guys to play this hardcore. And yeah. I know with within the touring the, within the touring element, there's obviously like a track previous to Knock Loose's giant success. They were in a band that played a certain kind of venue in a certain town with certain people. Whereas mm. Jesus Peace were able to kind of play on both sides of the tracks. And do you find yourself early on uh being relegated to one track or you guys kind of played anything you wanted to play we always played anything we wanted to play we always thought the we just needed the mindset of there's a lot of bands that kind of sound like us in our i'll, I'll preface this as like we're a intro to hardcore type of band uh we're like a metalcore band that's kind of like the intro to whatever is going to be deeper than that like you're going to go deeper from us. So we don't mind being the face of like the start of metalcore band or whatever the fuck. So we would play anything. We would play like that, that first show with like guilty conscience or whatever. And then we'd play fucking a show with I Semi friends of fire, like a week later. And then we would play a show with a fucking pop punk band, funny scene, warp tour band, like a month later, it didn't even matter to us just because we wanted to just show people our sound and showcase like what we're about in like the environment that we create when we play live, which was very like, honestly, I think we created like a really good environment that not a lot of bands were, were doing at the time where it was like very energetic. And it was just like, I think people could tell that we we're just trying to have fun. And a lot of bands at the time were super serious and you could tell that they weren't even kind of feeling it. And we were just, we were just all about like just fucking having fun and just going crazy. My first uh, visual uh, of you guys was either Instagram or Twitter, and you had played early on a life or death tour. And that's exactly what I saw. I saw a bunch of wild kids going the fuck off. And I was like, you know, the image doesn't match the sound. Like, yeah, you should see some giant lights and scrims and like, we're the most professional metalcore band by the sound, but you guys were fucking going off and everybody was going off. And I was like, yo, what's up with this band? And Bob was like, yeah, man, they're sick. They're from South Florida. And I, and I was like, man, they're probably like a band. I was thinking like a band. I, obviously you would end up on rise, but I was like, oh, there's a rise records band that wants to be like tour bus style. They're not going to want to do something hardcore. So I kind of wrote, I didn't write you all, but I like, ah, look at the sound wise. They're probably not going to want to do this hardcore, but yeah, I saw more videos and it just always felt, especially the energy, whether it was Jeff and the way he was up front and then you on stage in your presence, I felt like you guys were 
welcoming and yet at the same time exactly what you said like an intro to hardcore like if somebody from the metal side would check you guys out it wouldn't take them too long to find code and find harm's way and find all yep. these other bands exactly and now, and it's like that's 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 honestly a cool thing to me is like i'd like knowing that people find our band and then they f- they find bands like knock loose or code orange and blah 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 and then they could look in the youtube recommendations like i did when i was growing up and they find other bands and then they fucking dig deep they find martyr id they find all these bands disembodied dig even deeper they find more bands you know what i mean i think that's like a super important thing and that's like what connects everything no i agree um one of the coolest things at the time when the bands like Hellfest, like all the bands that would play around Hellfest, is you'd see these mixed bills because people had to get to Syracuse and then come back down. And I, I do miss a time period where you would have heavy bands with more melodic, crazy shit. And I don't like the term screamo, but you'd see some screamo bands with some just like hard bands. And, yeah. and I always, I always enjoyed the juxtaposition of different styles and having it fall under a simple umbrella of it's all still fucking hardcore. And exactly. I, feel, I feel to some degree that the, I, I blamed, I used to blame Kazaa and the early two thousands internet. And then I blame more. So the, fu- I don't know if it's Twitter, but there's always this need to like micro genre, every fucking everything. And yeah. I, and, and I think that the catch all, the catch all of metalcore works to some degree, like I, I could be a new one to say, well, metalcore was really marauder and you know, the old stuff, but it's yeah. an easy, it's an easy catch all. And then you see people say, no, that's more of a death core. And, and I, I get lost in that. I get lost in the weeds. And um, I don't think that blood is one of the bands that tries to do that. In fact, I think you kind of like, especially after that, this hardcore set, it was evident that you guys were more like, we are who we are and we'll let you guys decide where you want to organize us. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. And literally, we start. I started calling our fucking band like Deathcore just because some people would just make fun of us and they'd be like, that's just like some stupid fucking Deathcore band. And then I was like, that's funny as fuck. So I'm just going to start using that as like our official genre because it doesn't matter. It really does not matter. We sound however the fuck we sound. You know what I mean? Like there's there's a lot of elements that come into play of like how we sound, how we sound. But I I, I think the genre label shit is stupid. Definitely nowadays where it's like, there's so many diverse fucking bands that pull from so many influence. Like it, when I talk, when I think about like the top bands that are just fucking killing it right now, like bands like Vane or something where it's like, they they're drawing from so many influences, but they're still like a hardcore band. Code Orange is obviously the best example where it's like, they're taking from like fucking industrial. They're taking from hardcore. They're taking from metal and they have this, this fucking huge sound, but their attitude is they're a hardcore band. So they're a hard, they're, they're a hardcore band. You know what I mean? Like you, what are you going to tell them that they're not? You know what I mean? No, and and exactly what you pointed out is correct when you said about Vane. You know, we're in a luxury here that we are forty plus years into the rise of heavy metal, the rise of punk rock, the rise of hardcore. So it's really hard to say a band is going to be locked into one thing. But there's so many fucking years of great records and great ideas to just draw from. And I think that the bands that do it best that draw from these different ideas are the ones that you listed and including yourselves where you're not drawing from one. Well, you're not locked into a specific look or you're like really going for this specific sound. You guys are able to diversify what you're doing because of all these, um, the, almost the amalgamation, 
of all these different influences. And that's why this period of the hardcore scene has so much, uh, you know, to the older guys, like, oh, this all sounds like metal. But if you, if you go through, you go, oh, this sounds a little bit like this. You can hear, you know, these different chords here that are more like disembodied. There's all these different things that are just pulled together. And it's yep. the first time that I can remember so many different varieties of things all in one mix. And it doesn't sound like a mush. Sometimes some bands do it wrong, but I think the best of bands and you listed them always manage to pull out the best and just provide like a completely new take on these, on the platform of these older things. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's fucking beautiful to see. Like every, every time I see a new band, it's just a cool mixture of awesome sounds. Like I remember when I first, uh, first heard Gulch and I was like, this is fucking crazy. This is like metal DB. Like, I don't even know what the fuck this is. And it's sick. Like, it's so sick. And then you look at them live and it's even sicker. Like they're fucking crazy. And I think that's a lot of new bands are just fucking psychopaths. <laughs> like they just do whatever they want. And that's what makes it cool. Well, I had a, I had a talk with a friend in regards to this is hardcore. And he was, we were talking about newer bands and he was like, oh, this is so hard to understand. I said, it's no, it's actually easier. Once you realize that when we were younger, there was less, to draw from mm-hmm. and so to us we like our organization like oh this sounds like this this posse band does this and this tough guy is going to do this and skinhead band is going to do this but your generation is kind of like nah fuck it bring it all in we'll, we'll whip up something good with all this and especially with gulch another band that had my first interaction with something i'd seen on the internet where mm-hmm. it's a bunch of shirtless maniacs in this small room on where jesus had Jesus piece were actually like putting on the internet, like, yo, check these motherfuckers out. And I saw this and I was like, it reminded me of a band that I would have seen at this uh, DIY venue called Stalock 13 at the end of the nineties, like the rawness and the, and and true to life. They absolutely are that. And I think in, in a way, even though as we're talking about the modern idea of these drawing ideas, it also goes back to a lot of the stuff from like the more DIY metal kind of stuff where there was punk, influences but there was definitely a metal influence but there's yep. also you know like it's all it's cool to see your guys's take and your generation's take recycled in this modern age and i think that we- more bands should take that approach instead of trying to emulate a specific sound or a specific band yeah like our our generation and you hit the nail on the head like our generation is very much a we we have the luxury of we we fucking heard everything you know what i mean like we had LimeWire, we had fucking YouTube and all this. Like, we could find anything. Whereas, I'm guessing your generation, it was harder. You had to buy records, buy whatever the fuck. And obviously, there's a cap there. And there's only so much you could hear. Where now, you fucking... We have bands that fucking sound like a random band that had a demo in, like, fucking 95 or something. Just because they found it on a YouTube recommendation trail of, like, 100 fucking videos. And it's, like, it's, it's so crazy now because it's just bands can find exactly everything you know what i mean like you can find anything on the internet and it's 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 just how much you dig and how much you care about it you know what i mean well you're absolutely correct and one of the one of the comparisons that can kind of explain to you the one side of the equation obviously there are people in hardcore who have plenty of money to go out and just buy records whenever they come out and god bless those people and i i wish i was one of them but i wasn't so in, in my in my first in my first interaction with hardcore, it was through a, a dub tape. And 
then you know you had to selectively buy shit and at the time there wasn't cds for hardcore bands unless you're on like the biggest of labels yeah a lot of it was cassette tapes and then also as you had more friends we were all dubbing like oh check this out it was like it wasn't hey i i like you in a sexual manner i'm gonna make you a mixtape it was a platonic it was a platonic two dudes like here here's a mix i made check this out because well because you know you want to rock out I mean, we could, I mean, I can't tell you how many tapes I beat to death in the early nineties, listening over and over, and over, and over again. So what would happen is, is a lot of trading of people's stuff and physically like, Hey, can I get my tape back? You know, check this one out. And the same thing would happen with CDs as well. And because of the monetary situation, you bought something, you fucking listen to it. You, know, you yeah, bought exactly. a CD, you fucking listen to like, yeah, <laughs> Like I bought a bunch of CDs that were not so uh, expensive and I'd be like, well, I guess I'm going to fucking listen to this. I'll get more money for another CD. So in our generation, a lot of people didn't have the resources to just get the new record. And there was tons of records and there was tons of exposure. So a lot of times you were listening, especially I I drove so much between the time I was like 16 and 22, specifically just shows on the weekends Mm -hmm. where you would hear shit for the first time in someone's car. And that was like the moment, like, oh, fuck, what is this? And you're like, fuck, I got to get this. I got to try to get this. And there was so much to the meaningfulness of having shit. And actually, another thing that you said that was actually so fucking cool, you had said that you were basing things off of the YouTube recommendations. And in in my generation, we would read the thanks list in a tape or a CD. And we would specifically go... What band was I've never heard this band. I gotta check this band out. And it was hard to find bands. There was no internet. So, like to us, I guess you'd say if a record came in, it was fucking treasured because you're like, yo, this is fucking great. And then also sometimes bad records were also great because you're like, fuck, this is all I'm gonna listen to. So I have enough money to buy another one. And one of the things that I think kind of gets lost in the cracks in the modern time with these younger folks is that every piece of music is important to some degree. And sometimes because of the disposable nature of being able to like hit skip on Spotify, or like you said with YouTube, some of this music is, Oh, I don't really, you know, and I always, and I, and I I always like say to young kids, Hey, what do you think? You know, I'm not really into them. I said, Hey, listen, don't just say that because you don't want to tell me you don't like, you never heard them because there's a million things I've still never heard, but check it out, check it out because you actually have, the ability to listen to tons of shit for free, which we never had. So that's, that's the the thing about our generation. That's like different from yours is we have so much, which is like a beautiful thing. Cause it's like, I can fucking record something and I have n- no fucking money and I could put it out. But at the same time it gets over fucking there's, there's so much that people it's, they have so much where they can't even fucking listen to some shit. Well, it's, if, it, if you had listened to episode three with Chris from Disworry, he had said that like a not so great studio at the time when he recorded possibly in like 95, but was still half decent was like $50 an hour. So one of the things that we'll get into later on with you specifically is the cheap and like immediate ability to record quality like this. Mm-hmm. I'm talking, I'm talking to you over a microphone that was about $150. I bet yep. you 20 years ago, this thing would have been, and, and actually rich from wisdom and chains who does America uh, post America podcast. It said when they first started doing their podcast and they're like a hundred something episodes in, 
the gear was already more expensive and that was like three or four years ago. So technology has also given your generation the edge because you're able to track and you're able to talk to each other via these um, different apps. And it's an incredible gift of technology that your generation is able to just use to produce and move faster than our generation ever fucking could, man. And it's, it's actually it's honestly it's crazy. Sick. It's sick. It's kind of Star it's, Wars, and it's fucking pretty sick. <laughs> yeah, because if like if if we really talk about it, like all of our songs were written over fucking Facebook Messenger call. I would literally call Jeff because he had a fucking Android, which finally he fucking got an iPhone. Jesus Christ! Um, whereas like I had to call him through Facebook Messenger because you don't have FaceTime on the fucking Android because it's a different. I don't know, but I would call him on Facebook Messenger. I would play a riff and he'd be like, oh, do it more like this or whatever the fuck. And that's how we would write the entirety of our shit. And then when Kyler joined, he actually was moving to fucking New York. So I was like, fuck, like I, I've never even written in a room with someone before in my entire life. I've never done it. Like nev- I've never in my life done that before. So which what, is is, band, what is band practice like then? Band practice is just practicing the songs that we already wrote. Like literally in person no, though, or you, you guys are all in the same room for band practice, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're all in the same oh, okay. room for band practice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But everything is, I've always written everything over the internet, which is obviously probably jarring for anybody else in like a band that was started maybe even five years before us where they're like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? But that's the future where it's like, I, I'd, I'd even have a drummer write any drums for us until this last release like i would just write them on my computer and that's it you know what i mean like that's that's the future where it's just it's just like you could do anything you want so it just matters about how much drive you have first where you can't be fucking lazy like i had to learn how to do all this shit i'm not a fucking drummer you know what i mean i learned how to do the drum parts i had to listen to them a million times and fucking figure it out so that's the cool thing about nowadays where it's you see there's a lot of members in bands that are fucking wizards you know what i mean where they could do everything and anything and and i think that's fucking sick you know what i mean i think the young brothers are wizards or time travelers they're definitely up there with like some of the most multi-faceted talented humans yeah my band when my band punishment would play we would go to practice on sundays it was like required and we would use a giant fucking april o'neill from teenage mutant ninja turtles fucking vhs video camera and Holy video shit. practice and then we'd spend five days reviewing it discussing how oh, was that riff any good i don't know let's try it again like and, and it's surreal to think like um when i did the first time we did all will suffer um one of the guys in the band was coming up from florida so anthony and Luis facetimed him so we had a yep. band practice where one of the dudes wasn't in the room and i was mind blown by this and I, i'm i think that it's incredible the ability that you guys have. And I think some bands don't harness it well, but it seems like with Bloodbather, it probably only drives you to be more productive and creative. Would you agree? Yeah, exa- exactly. So, and the thing is, a lot of people don't understand where we had like, it was basically me and Jeff until it was me, Jeff and Kyler. And it was a revolving door of filling people where I would just, we had nobody to fucking play in the band. Like this, the scene like was very dry of musicians where anybody could play in the fucking band, but you weren't in the band. You would just play in the band. You know what I mean? Like we needed a drummer. We would get someone that knows how to play the fucking periphery or some gent band. And we'd just be like, yo, uh, learn this part, 
don't wear that shirt. <laughs> like, uh, like it's going to be straight. And then we would just, I would send him a click track, which is just like a metronome with the shit on it. We would practice maybe once or twice and just hope it went well. The craziest thing about the, this is hardcore set actually is our drummer, Alex at the time who was like 18 or 19. This kid's a fucking, a mastermind of drums. He's super sick. Uh, he, Literally, I sent him the songs. He loved Bloodbather. He saw us actually at like Warp Tour in another show. And he loved us. And he was like, yo, I want to play. I want to try out. And I was like, yo, that's sick. I'll fucking send you shit. He just learned it in his warehouse. We had one or two practices, played one show before This Is Hardcore, and then he played This Is Hardcore that well. You know what I mean? Where it's like, there's kids like him that have the drive and have the ability to do something, like learn a set, the best the best that's ever been played too and be able to play it perfectly within like four not even four fucking oh one show and two practices you know what i mean i mean that just blows me the fuck away yeah especially not i mean full, not even full band practices either just me and him that's it like no vocalist no bassist now going on to what you're talking about as far as like what was drying up from when you started playing to what we're talking about now, what do you think changed for your local scene that people were just kind of getting out of it or were people growing up? What was, what was going on that was hard to find members? Uh, we, we were just, I guess we were kind of, I was really picky about who I would actually put fully in the band because I wanted someone that I could actually write. You know what I mean? Where it was like, Kyler was the first member that joined that could actually write. And he's been helping me a lot, which is fucking sick. But it was, it was a thing about writing. It was a thing about we wanted somebody that like understood what we were trying to do, which not a lot of people understood what we were trying to do. And also, we, we couldn't pick a lot of people from, I guess you could say, like more of the hardcore side because they didn't think we were like a cool band, I guess. Like we were a lame band in quotations for a pretty long time. Uh, so Explain we, that to me. Let's, to let's go through that. Why do you think that was the case? uh it had it had to do with a lot of things probably because me and me and jeff didn't give a fuck we would go to the scene shows we would go to the hardcore shows we would go to the anything punk anything we would be at any show um but a lot of people in i guess the hardcore mindset would kind of like think that was funny that we were going to those shows or whatever the fuck or or that we were trying to because we were trying to get big whereas me and jeff we grew up fucking poor as fuck you know what i mean and we wanted to we wanted to do something that could be like being in a band for us, obviously it's not a moneymaker. It's never going to be a moneymaker, but we wanted to make it big because it was like, we don't want to be stuck at a minimum wage job. And we can't, we don't have like a, like a dad that has a business that we could just fall back on. You know what I mean? Or, or something like that. Whereas like we had a lot of drive and a lot of people thought they, they thought that was lame. And, you know, I guess it's just different mindsets, but we are just coming from the mindset of like, we have to do this. We have to make it sick. And, and I guess some people would strayed them away from us, but I think that that's the that's one of the only reasons I'm talking to you right now and why we're the level that we are. Well, I think a lot of it would have to do with the drive that you have yeah. and you've shown already. I mean, the um, would you would you want to go into um, not the sidetrack, but just kind of keep people up on it? Yeah, um, you are probably from afar. You, you look like a mixture of like. I don't know, like what I would say, like a mixture of some of the older Hot Topic looks with definitely this entirely new look as well. Yes. And I find that hardcore people today 
have a harder time dealing with people that don't dress like exactly their conceptual ideas of what a hardcore kid dressed. Mm-hmm. When did when did that look start taking place for you? And you started like before even like the Andrade, when did you start like dressing more like not like everybody else? I'm so, talking about like even back in school. Like, I mean, when do you when did you first start not wearing the clothes of your peers? Like even before music, if it, if it went that far back. Yeah, like secret secretly, I fucking I remember the I put on a, my sister's dress when I was like eight years old, and she thought it was like a joke, but I thought it was fucking sick. Um, I've always been super into fashion and androgyny. I mean, it just goes back to like Prince. Like all that shit was super cool to me. Like, I mean, he's it, the it baddest just, motherfucker on the planet. Exactly, and like I always had the mindset of like people would hate on you, they'll call you whatever the fuck they want, but it's like, dude, Prince got the most bitches ever. Like it's prince he was five two wearing fucking stiletto heels and he was a badass and he's still thought of as one of the best and most badass musicians so i took a lot of influence from him and like david bowie and stuff like growing up and i i didn't really start when i was a kid i, I had a lot of insecurities so i didn't i didn't really start dressing how i really wanted to until i was probably 17 18 and there was just a there was just a time it was probably around the start of Bloodbather when I started going to more I started going to goth shows and stuff because I did my revolving thing of going to every single fucking show and just trying to find exactly what I wanted. Whereas I started going to to, to the goth shows. I remember I saw the cure for the first time and it was like I was I was really getting into to goth and industrial and shit. And right when we started Bloodbather, that's when I started just wearing dresses on stage and wearing makeup and all that crazy shit. Um, but I've always been really into that androgyny thing that um, that it, it's it's almost ingrained in almost Broward culture because of like Marilyn Manson was a Broward band and they did the same thing where it's, it's just like androgyny and just, you know, pushing that boundary of, I guess, like a genderless type of thing. No, I agree wholeheartedly. In fact, I was actually going to bring Marilyn Mans up. And that's why I said like that old school style. That's exactly what I was going to get to. Yeah. It seems like a part of what I kind of grew up into and I we inherited uh, was, was a timeless freak out the squares, man. Like, obviously, in my same hardcore time as I had friends who would wear the fresh Nikes or the Sambas, you always seen people that were... Um, letting culture dictate the uniform and yeah again being poor you know I, I don't my mom wasn't going to buy me doc martens just for because i was a fresh cut skinhead and somebody's was going to take them off me anyway because i was too small to fight back so mm-hmm. we had like the um the salvation army <laughs> jackboot which was not the same thing at all and then like, yeah i mean but i growing up i would go to goodwill too like fucking uh, my uniforms actually for the Christian school, I couldn't even buy them new. I would have to go to a used fucking uniform place to get the exact uniform because they had a specific one, but I, we couldn't pay for a new one. So like, I, I completely understand. Well, where I was getting to, and it's actually awesome that you did the same thing. Cause I feel like there was a time when your facade didn't have to have such like aesthetic purpose, as long as it wasn't, the status quo of what a regular person on the street would wear. Mm-hmm. And I have a love of old, old hardcore show books and old videos and such. And I just, I noticed in the last 20 something years, 
hardcore kids have done a very weird job of kind of more or less blending in with society again. And, you know, as a kid growing up in my early teens, I was exposed to a lot of the same stuff that you were talking about. The cure and all that stuff came way earlier, but um, I go into goss clubs and I actually, some of the first bigger concerts before I even got into hardcore were industrial shows and metal shows. So, mm-hmm. and, and going to goss clubs, you're exposed to this like vibrant, separate dress culture and you're just like fucking mind blown by dudes wearing lipstick and fake teeth fake vampire teeth and you're like all right this is cool because it's not like everybody else and i find that hardcore today is very much a world where everyone is trying to look as aesthetically pleasing to some kind of like influencer look yeah i mean i i i can't i don't have to worry about it because i'm a 40 year old man of poor concrete I wear the same camouflage pants and sweatpants and whatever. I don't think I'm going to change, but I feel like looking at you guys on stage reminds me of the fuck you element. Like, yo, we don't have to be like everybody else. So where I'm going with this long tangent, do you feel that because you guys were, were you specifically were dressing beyond what the hardcore kids, you feel like they were already put off by that at all? Definitely. A hundred percent. Um, I was just, it, it was literally, I would go to a show and I would look completely different from everybody. You know what I mean? I would go to, I remember we played this one show at Inkwell with like Elegy and blah, blah, blah. And I was just wearing a dress, creepers, fucking fishnets, full face of makeup, blah, blah, blah. And I was sincerely the only person there that looked like that. And it it does put off people from, um, from, I guess, paying attention to you. Maybe not paying attention to you because they're going to pay attention to you. But from giving you that that chance, you know what I mean, where they don't even want to give you the chance because you look like that. But my thing is like, I don't give a fuck if anybody accepts me. I'm completely opposite of like the Twitter realm, the tw- ugh, Twitter realm where everybody's like, oh, I need to be accepted, blah, blah, blah. I don't give a fuck. Like, if you don't accept me, that's your fucking issue. Fuck you. Like, I don't care. Um, so I've, I always had that mindset. And I, that's another reason why I feel like we... You know what I mean? We we're still pushing and we're still doing all this stuff because I get I get the comments all the time. You're you're fucking gay. Fuck you. You look like this. You're fucking stupid. Blah blah blah. And it's like that doesn't do anything to me. Uh, whereas uh, other people would probably take that and they would go back on their old dress code or whatever. But I I have a thing where it's like I I just think fashion and style and all that shit is sick. Where it's like some days I'll fucking wear a two XL thrift store fucking gangster spongebob shirt with like fucking contrast stitch echo unlimited pants and like some fucking air force ones and then the next day i would wear like full drag you know what i mean where it's just i i just take i just think a lot of things are so pleasing to my eye look wise whereas i like doing everything which is just like i guess that's an androgynous thing where it's there's no boundary and i think a lot of people need to open themselves up to just doing whatever they want fashion wise because and I do see it a lot in hardcore where a lot of people, they want to look exactly like uh, maybe Steven from fucking kickback and just like wear that, the polo shirt and the fucking Dickies and you know, the, the, the Nikes or whatever, but it's like, that's cool. But like, you should be able to look however the fuck you want and do whatever the fuck you want within, within anything. You know what I mean? No, I actually 1000% agree that I feel in the very same way. I mean, I've never tried to be like a swall dude, but I always fuck around. I'm like, you know what? Like hardcore is getting boring. I'm gonna we're gonna get one fucking steroids, we're gonna get ripped, and we're <laughs> start going to shows and face paint and dress like 
something out of Mad Max, the Road Warrior, just to change the fucking the vibe up. Because I feel like there's so much judgment, and there's all and, and your culture specifically in in your generation. There's so many people that are emotionally affected by the. I would say what they feel are the discrepancies and how they want to look and how they do look mm-hmm. and social media filters. It kind of weighs so heavy on these folks that there's already so much pressure. And then it come to a place like hardcore where they're supposed to be open arms to everybody, no judgment zone. And yet you go to the dark side of hardcore, which is Twitter where it's nothing but fucking judgment. It's nothing but, yep. and I, and I have a hard time, understanding how you would want to be involved within the hardcore scene, so to speak. But then you would also give yourself the limitation of also attacking somebody like, Oh, you see, he wasn't wearing the blah, 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 or he was wearing this instead. I've never, I've never subscribed to that. You know, like I've never, I've never had the uh, fortune of being able to dress nicer. And I actually, I don't even know how to fucking dress myself half the time. So it's never been a thought for me. And I guess in my own securities, I don't even like look in the mirror when I get dressed. I just throw shit on and it is what it is. Yeah. But I imagine for you, I mean, number one, I don't, I, 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 I think it's cool, but I have no idea how someone who is a male would even learn how to put makeup on. <laughs> like to me, it's such a surreal. <laughs> and I have friends, I have friends that are very into drag and I have friends that, you know, have, uh, just been into that for so long and it always seems like i think one time ever on halloween i wore makeup like it's it's always surreal to me when i see it because it's so vibrant and it's so it's not off-putting but it's like hey fuck you i'm gonna do what i want to do yeah and um where do you where where do you think the first time you like wore makeup on top of the clothes and was it at a show or was it just like post skateboard just hanging out with your friends so when I when I first started skateboarding, um, this was a this was at a time, and I like to say this story because I think it's important. Um, I started skateboarding and I started wearing like tighter pants and just dressing different. And it was it was at a time where my dad was like already not with my my mom. Um, he left my mom when we're, I was probably like four or five, but he was still trying to be involved in my life. And I remember I was just starting to dress how I really fucking liked. You know what I mean? I was just wearing what I wanted. What I saw in the skate videos, I remember I saw like Baker three. I don't know if you're into skate court, skate culture at all, but I started just wearing like the tight pants and just like the striped shirt and blah, blah, blah. And I remember my dad was just like, you look like a faggot. And I remember it, it, it hit me in like a weird way where it was like, my dad is calling me that. But I feel like that was really important where I think that's why I don't care now. And that's why I just started doing whatever I wanted was just because like, you can't let anybody's words affect you. You know what I mean? If you do, then, then they won. So I have always had that mindset of like, you could call me whatever the fuck you want. I'm just going to still do whatever I want and I'm still going to push my boundary. So I started wearing makeup. I always started stealing my sister's makeup. Honestly, um, I would just go in a room, put it on and then take it off. And I would like practice, I guess in that element, but I didn't start wearing makeup like publicly until I was probably like 17 or 18 because I had, I had like a lot of insecurity issues and I was just like, I didn't know, I guess I didn't, I didn't not, it's not like I didn't know. I just didn't think I could pull it off yet maybe. And then I, it just came to a point where I was just like, I'm just going to fucking do this. So I, the first time I wore like full fucking crazy drag, full makeup 
was during like the start of Bloodbather, which kind of goes with the whole fact of we didn't give a fuck. Whereas I, I remember I just told Jeff, he probably remembers this conversation where I was just like, I'm going to wear a dress to the show. And he's like, do it. And then I just did it. And then it was like, it almost became a thing. Whereas like in our last video for silence, I wore the dress, my first dress that I ever bought, I still own it. And it still kind of fits fucking tight on me now. But um, I wore that dress in the video because I thought it was like almost like a, a callback. Like, fuck, this is how it started. You know what I mean? It's actually awesome, to be honest, that you did that. We had friends in the early 90s that, especially when the crow would come out. That yeah, you see I have a guys, lunchbox. I have the crow lunchbox. <laughs> I, I had a friend, Greg, who wore crow makeup. And he got punched quite a few times. And our entire growing up was uh, hostile just for being mm-hmm. long hairs. And then for being white long hairs was even like double violation. Oh, you're a kill your mother, devil worshiper. Yeah. And I felt like potentially why I never like really stepped beyond my own bounds was I was already catching fair ones just for having long hair, just for, mm-hmm. you know, just for being who I was trying to develop into. So when I see my friend Greg get punched with just like the crow lipstick on like the lips on the sides and yeah. the black eye things, I was like, uh oh, this is the kind of shit someone gets stole up on for. Yeah. And, I, and what you said about your father, you know, um, I have a very similar background. My mother was sing- a single mom. I had a younger mm-hmm. sister, not an older sister. And uh, when my dad popped back in my life, I was very already heavy metal and shit. And his his uh, his and uh, all males at that time, like the older males, whether it's my older cousin, uncle, soccer coaches, the older guys on the street, don't do, you know, if you do this, you're a fag. If you do this, you're gay. Don't be a gay. Don't be a bitch. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of, I want to say compartmentalized by older males to whatever their construct of what, you know, masculinity was everything outside of it was your bitch or a faggot. And so, so many of us kind of got locked into like, I'm not going to stray out of that. Cause I don't need, I don't need the heat, you know, like I'm already, yeah. I'm already kept. I literally was already know I was going to fight one of three people outside of school every day or every other day for so long. So it's, it's actually awesome to hear that you had like the fucking strength and the support from people to be like, Hey, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want. And uh, do you remember how people reacted when you got on stage that first time? Definitely. It was a, it was a reaction of like, what the fuck is this band going to sound like? Where it was just like, we all looked so different and weird where I know a lot of people are just like, I have no idea what the fuck this band is going to sound like. Um, Obviously a lot of people are looking at me like, what are you doing? Um, because you know, honestly, at the time, it, and it wasn't even that long ago, it was probably five years ago, four years ago. Uh, like a lot of people in the local scene weren't really on the androgynous thing. Like, it wasn't, I guess, like everything comes within phases where it gets high and then low again. It was definitely at a low phase within like males wearing makeup or whatever. So, a lot of people were just like, this is weird. Um, but once we started playing, I think it just matched the energy where it was just. Like I said, that was just like the band that we were of just doing whatever we wanted. But at first, I mean, I can't even say it was like scary for me at all because it was just it's like when you look in the mirror um, and you really see yourself like how you want to be, 
it's nothing will stop you. You know what I mean? I always tell people that too. Like whatever, like when you look in the mirror and this sounds cheesy, but like when you look in the mirror and like you, you can like face that reflection and it feels okay. Like then you should just express whatever that is. And I looked in the mirror and that's always what I wanted to look like. It wasn't crazy to me. It wasn't different to me. Cause it was, it was, so, it was something that I wanted so badly. Or it was like, even if someone fucking threw something at me or whatever the fuck, or it's try to say something, which they did, uh, it would it wouldn't affect me because I, I already fucking I already faced it to myself. That's you have to face yourself first before anybody else. You know what I mean? Because if you could face yourself, then what the fuck is someone else gonna tell you? No, I agree wholeheartedly. And I've actually in contrast to how other people have spoken to me in public first time they meet me, you were very competent and like just comfortable in your own skin. And and your advice is absolutely applicable to everybody, whether you wear makeup or not. Like you have to look at yourself and be comfortable with who you are. And I find mm-hmm. that it's the age and the time. And actually, because of the this is my old guy's tirade, because of social media and the apps and the predominant use of cell phones, socializing in the human form with your voice and eye contact is a losing art. And so many younger people your age they don't know how to communicate unless it's via blah 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 they don't have that confidence and when i came up and said hi to you for the first time i was like all right he has no you're you're at full chill you know like mm-hmm. you're you're good in your own skin and, and that was something that is a dying trait now so and and your advice is really important i think more people more people than not honestly probably don't have that ability because of whether it's insecurities or just not feeling good about themselves. And I I actually, I just got really, really privy to just how much social media filters affects people, especially females. And it's, it's such a surreal world because I don't, I don't, I don't like selfies. I don't really take them, but it's, it's a crazy, it's not a crazy. It is a very scary idea to think that, social media that was meant to bring people together is actually harming people's ideas of how definitely definitely um one of the things that we should bring up just because it was it's pertinent to uh your overall story so obviously you went to a calvary school as one of the Mm -hmm. few black kids when you got into skateboarding even though it was south florida were you still one of the like only black kids in the in that whole area Yep. Same, same, same type of deal. I mean, there was, there was black people and same with my school, but it was such a small few where it's like, I've, I've always kind of been the minority. Um, I'm blessed to live in South Florida where it's like, if I lived somewhere else, it wouldn't even, it, it would have been so much worse where South Florida is very diverse. You know what I mean? A lot of Hispanic culture, black, everything, you have everything. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that I grew up here out of anywhere else. Um, but yeah, no, it was like the same thing with the minority. It was like I had a couple black friends that skated, but the 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 majority was you know not black kids. So this is pre dressing. What was your? Did you ever have any early like as you're getting into hardcore any kind of like disparaging racial remarks or was it the scene pretty chill because it had some mixed people? What was the metal core scene that you were walking into? feeling like at that time it was it was pretty chill you know what i mean i've i've always had the attitude of like i didn't really care if someone did make a disparaging remark or whatever which they did they would say like little things 
Um, but it was mostly, I feel like it was mostly like white kids not knowing how to relate or whatever the fuck. Like they just didn't know where they would, they would bring up, uh, like Adam from Oceana, which is like a deathcore band. They'd be like, Oh, he's black too. Or they would, they would just bring up something stupid like that. Like there was a kid that looked like me, David, and they'd be like, Oh, you look exactly like David. And like, we didn't look fucking anything alike, but we were both black and we're like some of the only black kids that would go to shows. So it was like all, it was little stuff like that, which I don't really take, I don't really take to heart. Cause I feel like it's just something that like, they were too awkward to really realize how that felt. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of good things have happened nowadays where people are kind of realizing ex- how they should play in social situations. You know what I mean? Like what you should probably not say. Um, but yeah, it was, it was never, it was never like unaccepting. It was super accepting. And it was one of those things where it was just like, we just cared about the music. So that's all that fucking mattered at the end of the day, where it was, it was just the music. That's all that mattered, at least to me. So anything that would be around the music, I didn't really give a fuck about. No, it's actually really good that you had that experience. And it's obviously because of South Florida. And like I said earlier, South Florida is, scene in general was probably one of the more diverse Mm -hmm. and um i find that people who are obviously people of color who come in the shows if they are like really one of the only i've always felt that some of them had a harder time kind of feeling in place but it makes more sense that you already had that feeling of being welcome so that added to the confidence that would kick in when you started doing the androgyny and the dressing and all that yeah, I mean, my whole life, I was, I've always felt not out of place, but I've always, I've always had to do my own thing. So it's, it's always been a thing where it's just, I, I, I have to do my own thing and I have to be confident in whatever I'm doing or I'm not going to do it. You know what I mean? No, that's, I mean, again, like I said, in our first meeting, there was a level of calm, like you're, you're a younger guy, but you're obviously comfortable and have a conversation mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's a weird thing to critique people on, but you know, especially in a weekend where I'm meeting 20 something bands with X amount of members for the first time. And I get to, Hey, huh, how are you? You know, like people have a, a problem just speaking and yeah. you're kind of like, you're kind of like, nah, man, no factor. What's up, man. You know, psyched to see you, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I feel like, and again, going back to the social media and the presentation and the dressing, so many aspects of, the internet that kind of have thrown a cog in people being comfortable in their own shoes in a community that is supposed to be the, and I don't like using the term, but it's the easy term of the, you know, this would be the safe space for people to show yeah. up and be who they want to be and be around the people they want to be and share the ideas. And yet the internet is kind of the opposite where it kind of like broods over and makes things so difficult for people. Yeah. Um, Rolling into Bloodbather, the beginning of the world takeover. Um, one of the things that always uh, trips me out is that you guys had kind of risen quickly and now knowing just how DIY you were, how and what resources were you pulling from to kind of like push Bloodbather when you stopped being in that other band? You were just focused on Bloodbather. Like, what was getting you out beyond just, oh, I was torn with the other band? It was a complete hustle like everything it's it's always an up uh, upward hill battle you know what i mean and you always have to just face it where 
Bloodbather was probably like the hardest grind. Because we we were broke. Like when I say broke, I mean like no fucking money at all. Um, from the start, we didn't pay for the fucking first recording. Like we were broke. So like we had to hustle every step. We got, I remember we got cassettes and Jeff and me would just go into the crowd after we played. Not even go, we didn't even have a merch table. We would hold the merch and pander it to people. Like almost they had to buy it where it's like, this kid was like, oh, how much are the cassettes? They were five bucks. And he's like, oh, I only have a 10. Do you guys have any change? We had change and we're like, oh no, we don't. You have to buy two. You know what I mean? It was like, we had to have that hustle from the get. Um, and that was, that was the whole thing where it was just like, how can I, how can I reach the next level? How can I put my music in more people's ears? Whereas like, I started talking to my friends that had promotional pages, um, uh, for like deathcore, And then I would get on the promotional pages and I would like fucking somehow filter blood bather on them. Somehow, um, I would meet people in, in other bands, um, just become friends with them, not even push them with the blood bather thing, but just, you know what I mean? Show them who I am and like, just be cool with them. And then they would find blood bather and then they would fuck with blood bather. And we would start doing stuff like that. Like one of our first biggest tours, which this band gets a lot of fucking hate, but they've been nothing but um, good to us. And they helped us a lot in the beginning was Attila. They fucking took us out on tour. And that was just like a friendship that we had. Like it wasn't even like there was no label involvement, no fucking manager, but it was like a hustle. You know what I mean? We had to get there somehow and we got there. What was that tour like for you guys uh, in comparison to your hometown shows? That tour was fucking awesome. Honestly, it was because it was in Florida. The whole tour was a Florida tour. So it was already people that really fucked with us. And then it was also with Vatican, who also played this, the same year. Uh, this is hardcore with us. Awesome fucking band. And that was one of the best tours of my life. Honestly, it was super short, but it was it was it was sick. Like it was all Florida. So it was just people that we knew. And then it was like. It was almost like we were proving ourselves to ourselves. Like we knew that we could do it, but like every single show was just people that knew us and they were screaming the lyrics and blah, blah, blah. And it was, it just felt good. You know what I mean? It was just like another, it was just an, another way for us to get to a, a bigger place where it was like, I feel like as a band, you have to get more confidence with every show and you have to, you have to kind of have that mindset of like, you want to be at, at the top, but can I get there? And those shows were really like the proving ground of like, we can get there and we could play whatever show and still be comfortable and we'll be able to kill it. You know what I mean? No. And that's a, a great point. Early on in a band's career, there is a need to play shows. And I've talked about this on multiple episodes on different aspects of it. There's always a need to play, cut your teeth, figure out what works live. And at the same time, you have to be able to tell yourself, like, it's only going to get better from here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, and um, I mean, when I talked to Code, they were talking about playing shows that were shot, but it wasn't about, oh, no one came to see us. It was the drive to go, fuck it, there will be other shows, and we're going to eventually crush the whole fucking world. And I think that it takes building up, and I think it takes what you said about, you know, you've been a band, but, you know, in Florida, that's like your home state, and you get to actually crush it with a national act. And there are still bands that actually would tour the entire U.S., but probably couldn't have drawn as well because the, some of the bands and nowadays focus on getting away from home instead of building like a solid audience. Yeah. So if you guys are crushing it in Florida, you're absolutely right. It means you're going to crush it everywhere. And I think more bands need to kind of 
put a little confidence behind themselves. And I feel like confidence and actually you touched it. Maybe you can explain it better, but you had said it before, like being confident and saying like, I want this fucking band to go somewhere scares people off. But I mean, if we're not lying to ourselves, nobody wants to be a band that plays in front of five people. Do you think yes. that's what made hardcore people a little bit off when playing with you guys? Definitely. I mean, we had, it was, it was the thing with the image where it's like, we had the, and it's funny to say now, like the rise records image or whatever. And we had that drive of like, we want to do tours. We want to do all this stuff. We want to get bigger. We want to play fucking warp tour, anything. We want to play anything that's bigger just because we, we want it, you know what I mean? We want it more than everybody here. So obviously that gives you a, uh, I guess people think of you as maybe like arrogant or, or whatever, where it's like you, you want these fucking huge goals. But if you don't set like in life in general, like if you don't set those goals for yourself, if you don't push yourself, you're not going to make it there. Bloodbather could have stopped being a band probably like 30 fucking times. Like we've had so many obstacles, so many member changes, like on the fly, putting people in, in and out. Um, just crazy shit where it's like, I could have just given up or anything like it could have just ended but if you want it enough it's going to happen so it like that's my advice to every new band is be confident um and if you want it enough you will get it you just have to you have to put in the fucking work you have to play the shitty shows that nobody's at which we've played plenty of fucking shows to two people in fucking the middle of nowhere you know what i mean but playing those shows is important because you have to play those shows exactly how you're going to play This Is Hardcore or any fucking big show where it's you need to have both of those, that like dichotomy of like the shitty shows and the amazing shows because you, you need to know what it's like to be at both shows, feel out the crowd at both shows, but still play your best show at both shows. You know what I mean? No, that is exactly the mentality. And I find that the cherry picking often really just often puts me off on some bands where I'll say, Hey, I really want you guys to come down. Like, well, we're, you know, we're on the bill or, well, who's it with? And I, and I think of so many cool shows that we got because someone said, Hey, do you want to come down and play our town? Or like, there's just this need in presence on being on a bill these days that takes precedence over, Hey man, this person's giving me an opportunity to play somewhere and we're going to fucking crush it. Mm-hmm. So I, I absolutely agree wholeheartedly that it's, it's all the shows, but even them smaller shows build so much character in being able to carry yourself and not just going and giving up, especially as you're trying to establish your band. So you, you have to be excited too. I remember, I remember when you hit up Jeff, cause it was like such a big thing where like you hit up Jeff and you're like, Oh, we want you guys to play a show. It wasn't even, you didn't even say this is hardcore at all. You just said, play a show. And I remember Jeff sent it to me. He's like, dude, I can't fucking wait. Like, blah, this is going to be sick, blah, blah, blah. And I was just as hyped. Like, I was, I was like, dude, I don't even care. Like, I'll play anything. Like, I just, I think that's like a big milestone. We respected you. So we thought that was fucking sick. So we've always been on the, just give us a chance. Let us show you what we're about. And we'll play any show. I'll fucking play a show with any band. I don't care. I'll play a show with rappers. It does not matter to me because if, if we can, if we can convince those crowds of what we're about and they could have fun at those shows, then we could do it at any show. No, I agree. One of the best things about having you guys on one stage at this hardcore was just seeing the two of you guys literally like 
obviously, and, and I and I and I love it because it makes me feel happy that we can provide newer, younger bands with the opportunity to play something like a this hardcore. But there's always that band that's like, I don't know, man, it's going to be a hard one. And I, and I tell them the same thing: if you played a small show, you could play a big show. But mm-hmm. you guys got up on the stage with just like this. Fuck it, we're going to crush this shit. And I know um, Jeff was like. You know, that was one of the worst sets I played, but, you know, the show was awesome. But I I, th- I thought you guys were a band that had played those kind of bigger crowds just from the confidence and just the, the, the stage presence and energy. Do you think that that was something you guys worked on or was that just came as your band was growing? It was one of those things where it was, it was almost like a, not maybe like a football team or like something like that where it's just, before you're nervous or whatever. And we just had that, that thing where it's just like, right when we get on stage, right when we fucking hit that first note, like stop being a bitch and just fucking do it. You know what I mean? Where you, you have to, if you don't, then it's going to suck. So we just always had to give it our all at every show. And once that, you know what I mean? You have anxiety and you have that feeling of, Oh, maybe they won't like me, blah, blah, blah. But right when I hit that first note, it's a complete change of character. Like I put on whatever facade I have to for that first song. And then after that, it's smooth sailing. No, it's interesting. You say facade, because I always wonder, especially when someone goes out of the way to dress a certain way, if you feel confident or you feel like the facade protects. And when we spoke on it and you said that this is like who you're most comfortable with, but it makes sense because as I said, when you talk to you, whether you're in a dress or just hanging out, you're very much who you, you're very much comfortable in your own skin. And I find that people who are playing in hardcore bands often are not comfortable in their own skin. And, and, and they might just be like not even the main person up front. And I never understood that because I was always a person who got on stage. And I still to this day, if I get on stage, I'm like fucking anxiously angry, excited. It's just like also like, let's fucking just tear the roof off this fucking place. And I don't let the stuff that makes people feel like I'm not going to do good. Like, I don't care about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I saw a lot of that in you. So when you guys are doing this Attila tour, are you guys uh, thinking that there's going to be more for blood bather in store? Or were you guys like, this is our, like, you know, I know there's just bands like, this is our one chance we do this. We're going to get signed to the big label. Like where was your mentality as you took on that tour? And then what followed after that tour? That tour was there. We're going to get bigger from, we've always had the attitude of like, this is, this is just the beginning. We're going higher and higher and higher. Um, it obviously was a huge opportunity. It was like the biggest tour, honestly, still the biggest tour that we did. Like one of the shows was still the biggest show that we did. It was like maybe like 900 to a thousand people or something like that. Um, it's, you have to be excited as this is, we have to prove ourselves. We have to do a good job. But you should always think higher and higher. So that that tour really set the stage because that was before this is hardcore. Where it's like, I feel like we did change as a band from that tour. We just had that new swagger of just like, yeah, we could conquer that world. We could conquer this world. You know what I mean? We had we we. It's not like we reinvented ourselves, but we had that even new level of confidence of playing that type of tour. Where it is. They, they are kind of maybe not scarier. They're way different. You know what I mean? You have to approach them differently. And that's just an important thing as a band is just learning the crowd and what is 
what is going to go well with that crowd. And I think that that's where it really helped us figure out that crowd, which in turn helps you with other crowds as well. No, that's a huge thing that comes from touring is learning that the four minute song may not have been the best, but that also, yep. Hey, it's this kind of crowd. We need to put this song on or, Hey, you know what? Uh, we got a lot of people standing with arms. Well, let's cut one, you know, like, or, um, as a killing time said, it's the first time I played this hardcore. Fuck it. Only the old shit. Like sometimes you, <laughs> have to bring, sometimes you have to bring just the fucking heat just to bring people back up. And I think in touring and younger bands, you know, you can't go with, Hey, we're going to hook right. Every time you go out there, you got to play with the set. You got to play with where things are because to find different approaches that'll make it work. And it only comes from being on the road. And I find that the bands who take the opportunity to play at different things, one of the things that Madison and I talked at on um, her podcast was that, you know, playing with different kind of bands, like a knock loose terror taught her the value of showing up on time. And, Oh shit, this is how real bands work. Did you find the same kind of experience? Like, uh Oh, we're on an Attila tour. We got to actually be adults. Or were you guys still like a hardcore band? Like, Oh, we'll show up in like 20 minutes before doors. Okay, so that's that's actually a funny fucking story. First thing, you really have to be self-aware as a band, like with playing like the old shit. Like a lot of bands are not self-aware, you know, where they just they just kind of do what they want to do and they kind of don't feel out the crowd, which I think that is the most important thing about a show. But about the showing up on time, in the beginning, on that Attila tour, thank God that band is just super fucking, they're the nicest guys ever. They Obviously, they get a bad fucking rep. But they are the nicest, most chillest people ever. And that tour was a really good learning experience because that was like the first industry tour that we did. And they helped us give pointers without being mean, I guess. We're like, we did another tour where some fucking crew guys gave us some shit and it was it was not cool. But we did learn a lot about being on time because I remember the first show, uh, the first show of that tour, we came way too late. Um, but it was straight cause they're a cool band, but that was something that we had to learn too. Like if you want to be taken seriously, you have to, you have to show up early 30 minutes before, if anything, get your shit ready, put it, put the merch there, do that, let it, and then let the show start. And then, you know what I mean? You have to, you have to play by those rules cause it's important cause it, it makes other people also have a mutual respect for you. Um, cause, cause they have to be there early. So you need to be there early. You know what I mean? Um, so we had to do that. Obviously we learned that, but on stage, it's always been the same thing of just like having a good fucking time, doing whatever we want. And even on tour, like we don't give a fuck. And that's why a lot of bands like us. Whereas like a lot of people are nervous on tour and on, on tour, we're just trying to have fun. It's the same thing of just, I'm getting into a show for free. So I'm moshing. I don't give a fuck who's playing. I'm moshing. I'm stage diving on that Attila tour. Dude, every single night we were fucking stage diving to Attila and nobody's dropping us because it's fucking Attila. So that was fucking sick. We were moshing every day of the fucking tour to any fucking band. Vatican was playing, so it was fun. So we got to mosh to Vatican right before our set. And you know what I mean? We just, you have to have fun on tour, but you, you need to be serious when you need to be serious. You need to be business when you need to be business. But you also, you have to have fun. Because if you don't have fun, you're never going to have fun. No. In fact, we had a rule on the first punishment tour we're never going to see any of you motherfuckers ever again. Now it's kind of <laughs> weird because 
Mike Brown and I had actually did a U.S. tour a year before that. So stupid us for saying it, but we were like, no, fuck it. Let's just pretend we'll never see in this place again. And it made things so much more fun. Also, yep. we didn't have cell phones at the time. So like, oh, we're stuck in traffic. Our two of us are ass out the window, literally asses out the window or jumping on cars naked. Like the chaos yep. factor of fuck you. We're not at home. We're away from home. And for me, Mike, Damien, I mean, at different stages early in punishment, one to three of us were sleeping on a couch that wasn't our home. Mike actually lived in my mother's house, but I wasn't allowed to live there. So he was like my brother living at my mom's house. She's like, Mike can live here. You can't fucking live here. Damien was sleeping in the backseat of his girlfriend's dad's car. So any chance we got to be on tour was like, this is where we belong. And so that excitement you're talking about, I completely, that was the, that was our entire drive to just be on tour was like home sucks. Tour is where, you know, you're not sleeping on a couch and you're not like hating life. And I, and I wanted to ask you, do you think that because of your upbringing and because of what you guys were chasing after, do you think it was easy to leave home just because you wanted to be somewhere else? Yes and no. Um, it's crazy you brought that up. Um, I remember on that one tour that we did the full East Coast, Jeff was literally, he had to move out of his house and he was homeless the start of the, the tour. And he had to bring his, his belongings literally to a friend's house we're going to do this month long tour and then come back and then he's going to figure out where he's going to live, where it's like, I, that's a, just another full respect for Jeff and just how much he pushed for music and how much he just pushes in life. I love that kid. But, um, there's obviously a struggle. I've always wanted to get the fuck out and tour. I need to, it's like, I have to see this world. Cause I never fucking left Florida until tour basically like, uh, We've, I only did one other trip where I went to like Tennessee because some other family paid for it at the Christian school. Like this rich fucking family like paid for us to go. That's the only time I've ever really taken like a real vacation. And that was when I was like seven or something. So I was never going to see the U.S. unless I toured it. So that was another push of just like I have to tour. Um, touring was touring has always been a battle for me. I have a really bad OCD, which. I think OCD is gets a weird rep where people think it's just uh, an organization thing. But for me, it's a, a very intense fear of germs. And I think touring with, with OCD, there's this thing called CBT. It's like cognitive behavioral therapy where you have to do things that make you uncomfortable to conquer the fear of OCD. And I feel like touring was something that really, really helped me in that element of I have to sleep on this fucking person's couch. I have to go days without showering. I have to to sleep on in the fucking van with all these smelly fucking people, and I have to do it. Every the, every time I've started a tour, the first day of the tour, I have a fucking terrible panic attack, horrible panic attack. I'm like, I can't fucking do it. It's gonna be awful. I'm gonna fucking have a bad germ thing in Colorado. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be stuck there, and I don't have insurance. And it's like, I think that's important for me. Where it's touring is almost like therapy for me. Where it's it's a grind, a bad grind sometimes, but it helps me reach a new level with not only a comfortable feeling with my OCD and myself, but it, it, it makes me feel like I can conquer something else. You know what I mean? No, I relate to that. In fact, the punishment tours were something that were often haphazardly set up because of the chaos in my own life. And a lot of these were just like escape routes. Let's get the yep. fuck out of here. And so we would all pony up. Like, I think it was at one point, 
everybody in the band had to put up their own 100 or 200 dollars depending on which yep. store it was and it was like in the box i remember mike brown be like nah i'm gonna hold on to it and we're like well you can hold on to it and stay the fuck home you don't put that money in the box you ain't jumping in this van and we got your clothes already it was always an argument but i cannot drive in the beginning of a tour because i booked it i'm so nervous like that, that that what you just said about like i would get like stomach sick if yep. i was even shotgun it, it just driving through philadelphia to get to the fucking highway and like uh later on in road trips like i would have to so i just go i, I actually i do it it's like a form of like a stress relief i call it the stress nap like if shit's going bad in my life i just shut down and go to sleep so like we would pack the van i would get in it i'd be like look motherfuckers you know how to get to the fucking highway you know, this is pre, obviously pre cell phone GPS shit, but we had traveled so much that everyone knew which highway to get on. So I'd be like, look, I, you know, I ain't driving first motherfuckers and I would pass out. Otherwise, I don't think I would, I probably would have thrown up in just stress and just being so fucking paranoid of like, cause you know, every tour of van had problems. There's always problems. And I was like, oh fuck. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, for me, like the excitement override was if this fails it's always on me it's on me it's on me and it would be such a like literally the fucking cue the fucking psycho knife music but like that was in my head and i never enjoyed i never enjoyed because another thing is like all of our girls have come to like say goodbye and shit so like i'm in the shittiest mood because i'm like my fucking heart is through and my and my girlfriend at the time which is never understand it's not about you saying goodbye it's about i'm ready to fucking throw up in front of my friends because i'm so stressed the fuck out so i completely relate to that so you end up on a month uh month-long tour who was that with it was it was basically just uh our two old no no it was bloodbather and then my old band okay and it was it was five people uh just a filling fucking bassist um filling drummer um our vocalist for the other band playing bass and blood bather. And we were in a fucking like a SUV that had not enough seats. Like it was so fucking small with a trailer. And I swear to God, that shit broke down so many times, fucking water pumps, everything. Like it was just a new thing. Every, I have no idea how we made it to some of these shows. I don't even know how the fuck I'm alive sometimes. Cause it's like how many terrible things have happened on like tour with vans but that's another thing where it's just like you you have to conquer things in life like you have to do things that are uncomfortable Uh, that's a that's a thing that a lot of people are just i guess they're fortunate enough not to have those experiences but there that makes it in my opinion that makes them weaker because you have to go through these experiences like i'm glad that we share the same thing of like we have to put up our only money to go on this tour the van's gonna break down uh, the shows are going to fucking fall through because we booked them DIY. Um, thank God we had a map because I would have been lost as fuck if we didn't have a map. But having that as the, the start of a tour and then, and then the tour being good makes the tour so much better, though. You know what I mean? It just makes it so much more worth it. Like the end of the tour where you're like, I did it. I did that shit. You know what I mean? I wonder if you got to the same thing that we would go through because a lot of our tours would come from Western Pennsylvania. Yeah. We still got dirt bikes out in Philly. This shit's real. <laughs> so still yeah. dirt bikes. October and dudes are still out on quads. Um, 
when we would come back from tour, it was always coming east through Pennsylvania, which for those people who traveled in the East Coast, the east to west drive in Pennsylvania is one of the longest in the entire East Coast. And the same distance going from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh is like going to Philadelphia to Boston or Philadelphia to uh, Richmond. Mm-hmm. We would hit dread. Like everyone would be happy and talking in Ohio, and we would see Welcome to Pennsylvania, and no one was excited. Everyone knew tours over. Did you hear that? Did you have the same experience when you hit Florida and you're like, new, same like, fuck. fucking thing. Oh my God. Because Florida is so fucking long. Seriously, too long. Too long. Too long. Just getting out of Florida. That's why I respect bands that even tour to Florida. It's such a dip and it's so long and straight. And Florida is one of those places where I don't claim anything besides Broward and Miami. Everything else in Florida is fucking tourist land. I don't care. Um, Like the only places in Florida that matter are this very small side right here. Maybe Tampa too. Tampa's cool. But um, Florida, like the good parts of Florida are at the bottom. So people have to go all the way down to even tour here and and get the good shows. But when we come home for tours, our last tour experience was probably the perfect thing of like this the tour started and ended in california and we had no van until right at the start of the tour basically where we had to drive all the way to california in two or three days then we didn't book any days back so we had to drive from california all the way to florida in two or three days again so we and then oh my god the fucking van problems we popped like three tires uh the first van going up had mold in it and we couldn't even torn it because the mold was so bad that like our eyes were burning. Uh, and we had to switch out and get a, a renter van to do that entire of mice and men full U S and Canada tour. So as a band, like it really never gets better, but that's that what well, gets better obviously, but like it's still fucking hard the entire time. But that's my thing is like, I just can't wait until it gets even better. Cause that tour is still amazing. How many times do you think you got pulled over in that vehicle in the South? A lot of fucking times. And they're all absolutely fucking terrifying. I'll tell you, I've been pulled over a lot and and even in Europe, but it was always in the South. And you got to remember it is like, I'm a shaved head white kid. Damien's Puerto Rican. Mike's black. And then we had any God know who the fuck knows who was the other dudes in the band. Mm -hmm. But, there was a level of paranoia on them too, where I'd be like, fuck. And we would look at each other like, this is going to get, this is going to be something. And it was always like fucking ass o'clock at night. Someone's getting pulled over and it'd be like, yo, yo. And Mike Brown didn't actually have a license. So he'd be like, yo, yo. And I would have to drive, like jump in the driver's seat. And God only knows what the, like I have a ticket still from Arizona from, I think he was swerved and I had to jump up and just eat the shit. And I've always said getting pulled over anywhere in like Georgia, Alabama, any of them fucking places is probably one of the most terrifying things I've had to go through with with police on 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 tour. Would you agree? Yeah, and I uh, I have become an expert at the white person accent whenever I get pulled over. <laughs> it's fucking changed the character. Sw- Hello, officer. Like you got to. I'm so scared. I'm fucking terrified of cops. I've always been super fucking terrified of cops. You know, even when it came to like skateboarding, first time I got arrested, I was like 11 years old in Miami. This fucking bitch fucking threw me in the back of the car, stole my skateboard, called my mom, made me look like a fucking fool. I had to take the fucking train home. It was so bad. Um, Whereas I'm just terrified of cops, but definitely the South cops are, 
a new level of cop. They are such dicks always. Thank God most of the times we've been pulled over, it wasn't terrible. But man, sometimes when they're, when it's like three o'clock in the morning, you get a real dick. You were going five over or whatever the fuck. He comes with the flashlight. Oh, it's so fucking scary. Nah, exactly the thing. It was always like, oh, now we're all out on this highway. It's dark. They got that cool hand Luke, you know, like vibe to them, which is like ultra menacing and very cold. And um, yeah, you still have to pull off this. Hello, officer. How are you doing? Yep. You know, like, and you're like, want to turn the music down. And we had stickers on so many of our vans, which was like probably why we were getting pulled over. And thank God the whole band was straight edge. Otherwise, I think we probably would have got a lot of shit. And I, so, yeah, when you're saying driving through the South, that's immediately the first thing I think is like, oh, fuck, getting pulled over. So when Bloodbather starts really kicking ass, um, what drove you was actually I have it backwards. You were already producing the stuff and trying things with the electronics before, or did that come as you were trying to add more to Blow Brother? Which one was first? That was before. That was like, I remember I started working at Guitar Center and I, I finally was able to pay for a MIDI controller. Because when you work at Guitar Center, you get five fucking discounts. Now, was that the All same the- one that you, uh, that you had went to every day and learned? Yes, which is actually so fucking sick. That's fucking cool. It, it was so cool. And the funniest part is like, I was so excited to work there and everybody fucking hated the job. I ended, I ended up not liking the job obviously because other reasons, but I was so excited because it was like, I started here and it was just like, everybody thought I was so stupid. Like I was like, Oh dude, I fucking, I learned how to play guitar here and I'm going to make, I'm going to make it as a musician. And everybody's just like fucking 30 year old musicians that have all failed. And they're like, all right, whatever, man, we've heard the story a million times, but Working at Guitar Center, I finally was able to buy gear. Like we would sell, because dude, we were broke. Like it was, it was so bad where we would have to like sell. Uh, we sold merch, and that's how I bought an interface to record the DIs for the album. So like I would be like, "Yo, if we make two fifty, we can get this this USB thing, and uh, I could record the album, and we can make it sick as fuck." And like Jeff, you just come over, and we'll just like we'll slang these shirts. It'll pay for this. Then we borrow the mic from Anthony and then we get the mic and then we could do the fucking whole album. I'll figure it out. Go on YouTube, learn how to record it, get the album out. So that, that was how it was. Whereas like I, I got a MIDI controller at guitar center and I was just fucking around on logic, which I fucking pirated. Sorry. Um, and it was just like, I was just learning more things and I just wanted to put all these elements. Cause that was the time where I started doing my goth night as well, which is another connection that helped us, which, we played this one show because this goth guy that ran shows uh, at the ground in Miami, he was like, yo, I like your goth, uh, your goth nights. I like your, your thing. Do you, you're in a band, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, I've got this Whitechapel show coming with Carnifex. Uh, do you guys think you could play this? And we're like, fuck yes. So it's, it's always been, it's always been a grind for us. And that's the reason why we have like such a weird sound too, is because it was just me figuring shit out through YouTube and finding, stuff and also go- doing the goth nights i found a lot of cool industrial stuff skinny puppy and b- bands like that where i where i put that in blood bather because it was i was like fuck it like this sounds sick to me this is super fucking visceral i'm gonna put this on here and it's gonna give us another another crowd that we can we can conquer as well no i agree and in fact i think that the in um the infusion of any kind of industrial elements and um 
in this in this time frame, it's really cool to see bands like yourself, Maine, Code Orange, especially really experiment beyond just the average, you know, like the typical heavy metal setup as far as like the players and instruments. What was your first what was your first attempt and what was the inspiration when you first it was just like I want to add this, blah, blah, blah. And like, where did you get that from to try it out? I remember there was, I think it's, I think it's called Nitzer Ebb. Fuck. I forgot this. This it's a, it's a join in the chant by Nitzer Ebb. And they had this baseline. It was like, or something like that. And I was like, man, if I would have wrote this on guitar and then played it on synth afterwards or like use the synth as a buildup, that would make the song so much crazier. And then I was like, fuck, I could just do that. Like I could just play the riff, the same riff. And then I would just play on the synth, which is still a technique I I use to this day. And it just builds the sound. It makes it so much bigger and scarier. And I feel like a lot of bands are, they're scared of using electronic instruments, but you could do so much with the synth. You could run a synth through a guitar amp. You could run a synth through a bass amp. You can make it sound crazy. And and it it just adds a new sound to your to your arsenal. So like, why wouldn't you? So that's that's like the first start. I remember I heard that song, and I was like, man, if I add a bass line in the synth and then put it on the the guitar, it's gonna hit. And then it did. And then that was like a, a one of the ways I wrote one of the biggest songs that we have now. Now, when you say synth, is this this is something that's driven uh, like you're not using an actual keyboard? It's all digital, like a uh, interface from like an app, or are you like do you like legitimately have to like do all this stuff from a keyboard and put it in? How does that work? All right, so I actually had the MIDI controller, but it broke, um, and I use so on Logic you can have uh, you can use your keyboard, so like the fucking keyboard with all the fucking letters and shit. You can use it as a piano. So what I would do was I would figure out the riff on the keyboard piano in Logic, get it down, and then quantize it, which quantizing it is basically just like, yo, you're shitty at playing, let me put it on the grid right. Um, so it would put it on the grid right, and then I would just find some synth plugin, probably torrented it, um, and then just find whatever sounds cool, and then place it in and just go from there. It's always interesting to me to see people uh, continue to elevate their skills by researching through YouTube. YouTube and is amazing. Amazing. In, in my own podcasting journey, uh, I did talk to you on actually on Twitter DM a little bit, yep. but 99% of what I've done from this podcast, including like the recording and the editing has come from YouTube videos. And I have friends who have built entire careers. I'm actually going to bring them on the uh, show in a month or so where he was in one job. And he taught himself via YouTube. And then he found other skill websites where you can basically teach yourself an entire career. And it's always interesting that you see people say like, I can never do this, or I would never be able to do this when, as you said, with the internet, like the internet's right in front of you. And this is the time right now, especially with COVID and just in general, that this is the time when the most amount of free information that can change your life is available. And yet people are fucking playing video games and I don't mind playing video games. I'll play legend of Zelda or something, but like this is a time when bettering yourself and expanding what you could do is at a paramount and it's the easiest. And yet people are still like limiting themselves. So I'm always impressed 
when someone takes the extra element to say, yeah, you know what? I don't know how to play the piano, but I'll fucking learn how to do this thing. And, and that's, I'm always amazed when someone does something and teaches themselves something. It's, it's still so cool, especially when it's through the internet, because it's like, Oh fuck. This thing isn't just for porn and arguing on the internet. Yeah. You, you just have to push yourself where, where it's some people, I mean, the internet is giving us anything. Like you could do anything with the internet. Like, Everything and anything is at our fingertips, sometimes for free. You just have to want it. And that overpopulation, same thing with music, makes people, I guess, kind of, they're, they're too intimidated to do all these things. But for me, and what I feel like a lot of people that grew up kind of poor is we're super stoked that we have all this shit and we're going to use it in every single facet of our lives where um, I learned how to do graphic design so we could have art for the band. So we could have merch for the band. I learned how to mix. I learned how to record so I could do these things for the band. Um, if I didn't learn any of these steps, there would be no band. You know what I mean? There would not be the band at all because I wouldn't have learned all these steps. I wouldn't have learned how to play guitar. I wouldn't have learned how to do the merch uh, that we could print to sell. I wouldn't have learned how to do, um, you know, the, the, the Almart work, anything. So you just have to have, you have to have the drive. And if you don't have the drive, you're never going to do it. And, and I think quarantine is really showing, I guess, like who, who really cares about their art, even though it is a depressing time and I get it. But when quarantine, when quarantine hit, I was, I was like, I cannot waste this fucking time. I started working out every single day. Now I started, um, reading a lot of new books, philosophy. Cause I've, I've always, um, I kind of dropped out and stuff. So I, I didn't have the best reading level and I've, I, now I read 10 to 20 pages a day. I have to have Amazing. to play guitar for 30 minutes, you know? No. And in fact, those are the, those are the steps that people take. And that's the thing that I was going to say is none of this has to be learned overnight. That this isn't like the matrix where you just plug in and you learn something overnight, like um, via the internet, I'm on Duolingo and I'm working on both Spanish and German I've obviously put a shit ton of time into understanding recording, understanding podcasting and just getting a grip for it. But I've always used the internet to research and, you know, whether it was just for fun or just stuff that I personally enjoy, like intellectually pursuits. And um, I always find people that don't use the internet for anything like that to just be wasting a tool. But what you said right there is why you're on this show. And I know that, I was always nervous about having newer bands on the podcast, not because, oh, new bands suck, but like sometimes when you have a new band, they haven't done enough to like really have a two hour conversation where it's not like, well, we put our first show and someone started booking us tours and we got signed to a label. And now we just get an email that tells us when our next tour is. And someone designs our shirts. Like I knew from the, from the minute that I was going to talk to you about it, that you were someone who is hands-on with every asshole shit. I just hit my fucking thing. Um, I knew from day one that you were the kind of guy who was driven and the driver in the band. And I actually read some stuff that was similar to what you said, where everything that the band has become is because you taught yourself. And I think that in not enough bands and not enough people in general in hardcore punk metal, whatever, take the opportunity to expand what they're able to do. And, and, and that's a, that's a compliment to you for just having to drive. And also 
something you touched on that is really important is there's a lot of people in music that have the money. Mm -hmm. And I know, I know we don't like saying that, but it's like, yeah, it's easy when you have the money. You don't have to think about like, yeah, I, I can't get this done because I don't have the money to get it done. And I think that it's not a bad thing to come from money. It's not a, you know, like you're not a horrible person. If you came from, you don't control no one in life controls where they are born. You know, it's just like exactly. a video game. We don't control where our spawn point is. We get out. We're stuck. We're not always stuck in our initial position. And I think one of our goals is live. We're talking philosophy. One of our goals is to get past the point where we were started at. And a lot of people, because of either whether it's complacency or privilege, they don't push past the point because there's no lead. And you actually touched on it before where you said, there's always that dad who had a job and there's always that other thing that makes it easier to stop. And, you know, um, one of the only things my father imparted to me was how to use a tape measure and basic uh, hand tools and stuff like that. And that was probably for as much as he was a piece of shit. That was probably the best gift he could have gave me because that has put roots over my head. It's fed me. It's fed me. And it's driven me to be able to pursue hardcore music as a pure passion, as opposed to try to make it a professional, like life supporting financially endeavor. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm always amazed. I'm always amazed to talk to somebody who doesn't have the mom that could just put up the money or like the, oh, well, we're just going to do this. It's always because I relate to that more. And I'm just really happy that we got to talk about that specifically because there is enough people out there who don't have to drive. And I don't understand why. And in fact, I think, I don't know. I always say like, if I hit the lottery, I wouldn't just sit on the couch. I'd probably go and read more and spend more time doing more shit. Like you said, about a half an hour a day, you know, yep. like I do a, I even get my ass kicked at work lately with concrete, but like I do the same thing. I know I'm going to do X amount this day, X amount of this tech technique or this, whether it's stretching or trying to get like, you know, cause of jujitsu, I want to stretch my hips out more. There's things you can work on every single fucking day. You don't have to do it all in one home run. And yep. even if you have everything you ever need in life, you can still better yourself. And I love hearing from you that that's what your mindset is. What kind of philosophy have you been reading? Yeah. So to touch on some things and then I'll get on that, yeah, like sure. multi you have to be multifaceted in life. Um, definitely nowadays where it's, it's almost like the entrepreneurship, my mindset where you have to have different sources of income it's the same thing with the tools that you you go about in life that that is going to make you the the best at everything is having all these tools and being able to use all of them correctly that's going to push you farther than anything um so that's super important also just being being down for new things and just experimenting and, and letting yourself do things that you're not comfortable with where I started producing um, for this guy that is a, he's mostly a rapper, but he's now like a, he's really big in rock. Uh, he's on a bigger label and I didn't even push to produce. He was like, yo, I fuck with blood bather and I know you could do this. Could you make me a sound like this and you can get on my album, get some money or whatever. Um, and I was fucking scared at first. Cause this guy, he's done songs with people that have, have number ones on the radio. So I was already fucking terrified. Um, but I think the story is important where it's like, 
he gave me that chance or whatever. And I said, fuck it, I'm going to do this. Produced six songs on his album. One of them hit the charts on SoundCloud, number one on the rock charts. Um, and now that helped me through this whole entire pandemic with not only money where I could use this money very wisely for my musical endeavors, but also helped me um, give my mom, like I, I paid my mom because I still live with my mom. There's nothing wrong about that. If anybody still not lives with a parent. Um, I was able to give my mom a whole year of rent in advance. You know what I mean? So that stuff is important where if I didn't, if I didn't think that I could do it and I was like, no, I can't do that. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm only a metal guy. Then I wouldn't be here. You know what I mean? So everybody needs to have that mindset with, with everything they do of, even if you don't think you could do it, just fucking try it. You know what I mean? What's the worst thing that could happen? You fucking try it and you fail, whatever. Then you, you, at least you tried. So that's, that's something that I'm really, really big on. And that's the only reason why we're still talking. Another reason why is just, you, you got to push yourself. If you don't push yourself, then you're not going to experience these new things that are really important. Um, philosophy wise, uh, a lot of Nietzsche, um, fucking, uh, this guy named Walter Kaufman. I read one of his books, um, uh, Sartre, um, a lot of existentialist, um, types of books, I guess, nihilism to an extent. Um, I read, um, the satanic Bible, uh, which was actually really a really good read. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to read a lot of, a lot of philosophy stuff that I, I feel like what it does is it, it just leaves, it, it lets you have like an autonomous lifestyle. And it, the fact that nothing really matters, if you, if you really go to that point, not to sound funny or whatever, but the fact that like nothing really matters should be your inspiration to do the biggest things is because, you know what I mean? You can, you can decide to, to live a creative life and, and live the life you want to live. You just have to do it. Now I completely relate and get to that. In fact, it's interesting now that kids do not have time. And I hate kids as, as a, as a simple reference, but like we were exposed to anarchist cookbook at a young age, we were exposed to the satanic Bible at a young age. So these kind of ideas that were counterculture were already placed in front of us. But, you know, when it comes to philosophy, one of the things that you said that's important uh, was nothing really matters. And that is the reason to not fear. And one of the things you said is like, what, you don't want to try something because you're going to fail. Like no one wants to fail, but like that quote about you miss 100% of the opportunities you don't take. Yep. Life can be over in an instant. I had a friend who went to work seven years ago as a union telephone pole lineman and a telephone pole killed him. That's it. He didn't go to work going, this is the last day I'm going to live. And I don't know if he would have went to work, obviously, if he knew that was it. We don't know when the end is. And I find that so many people are more controlled in that they would rather shoot, not shoot their shot then shoot and miss. And that's the, mm -hmm. that's the, you know, the complete opposite of learning. You know, I fucked up a million times with these tour booking that we were talking about why I got so anxious and I've had shows that were supposed to kill and they fucking bombed, you know, um, in my own physical trade, because concrete is 
there's some math in it, you know, some, but a lot of it is the feeling of, you know, you can feel if it's heavy, you can feel it's high, you can feel it's low. It takes time and you fuck up and you have grown men go, come on, you should fucking know better by now. So many yep. people are inhibited by the fact they don't want to fail when really the only way to succeed is, is to fail and get back up. And I, and I, and I love that you are taking the approach of, you know, fuck it. This is what I want to do. One of the things before we start talking about the, um, your, your mixing that you're just talking about is uh, the philosophy that I gravitated towards, especially in the last 10 years has been Marcus Aurelius. Okay. And obviously meditations is a book that is very, uh, is basically like one of the basis for stoicism and his quote that has always, 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 always been in my head, but I had not really started working towards it until two years ago is you have power over your mind, not outside events, realize this and you will find strength. And mm. that's really what it is, a mindset and control. Like you have control of how you react to something. You do not have control of the person that's going to create the reaction, the situation that's going to, you know, and then um, the other two ones that I, I had to pull up because I love them. And I actually have one written in my book um, was confine yourself to the present. It's easy to wax nostalgically and be like, you know, if I would have just went back and I would have done this differently, everything would have been better. It's like, no, you're in, you're in the present, stay in the fucking present. And then poignantly yep. for today's world is poverty is the mother of crime. And obviously Marcus Aurelius is a um, Roman Senator or not a Roman um, Caesar. And, you know, possibly one of the last great Roman Caesars and his meditations is just really flat. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of boring if you listen to it on audiobook, but if you read it in doses, there's a lot of really good one-liners like that. So it's really cool to hear that you were reached out to by somebody beyond the genre just because of blood bather. And do you see yourself being able to uh, market slash promote and push yourself into that world as well? Now that you have a foot in it. Completely, completely. I think, I think that opportunity at first, I, I didn't honestly kind of didn't want to take it. And I'm so glad I Why did. Was that? It, Why didn't you not say it again? Why didn't you? Oh, I, didn't, I didn't want to take it because I thought it was, I thought it would be looked at as maybe corny from other people in my own genre that don't get the fact that you could do more than one thing that in, I honestly just didn't think I was good enough of a musician to like handle such a huge role where this guy is, he's way like, he has a, like a million listeners on Spotify, like monthly. Holy so shit. yeah, this guy's way fucking bigger than, than anything I've done previously, but we had this mutual understanding and we were friends beforehand, partly because of blood bear that he went to a, a blood bear show before he was even, big adult like we were bigger than him and then he got fucking boosted right all the way over us so it was one of those things where we we're just friends and we knew that we could make something cool and i was just like fuck it i'm gonna do this and i and we wrote once because it was only supposed to be like one or two songs we wrote one song and then it just went so well that it just came one song to two songs to yo what what else do you have anything like little ideas i was like yeah yeah no i have like a whole folder of shit and he's like, yo, send me anything. Like, but I, I love this shit. Um, and, and then it started to be, it quickly became six songs. And now one of, um, one of the biggest songs that I've written 
is like a song that on Spotify has like 1.5 million views or whatever. That's more than all of Bloodbather's music in combination. So you just have to, you have to make, you have to take these chances because they might do something really cool, which is now I can work with this guy more and, and also market these kids because these kids follow me and market these kids, not only to Bloodbather and where they could find cool stuff. That's not rock. That's more hardcore metal, but also, my fashion shit where it's like these people are taking influence from that. And that's cool to me where it's like this whole round, it's like creating a new realm for me where I'm, I'm so glad that I did it. Well, I feel like this whole story we just spoke on is you constantly raising the bar for what you are driving towards creatively. And so I am not surprised in the least that you would end up working with an artist of that size and doing the Spotify. I mean, doing something like that. It's, it's, it's it's a testament to being the kid that didn't have the money for a guitar, so you just trained. I mean, you have to have that work ethic ingrained in you early on to give that situation. And I'm actually glad that you didn't take the uh, I don't want people to think a certain way about me, especially with so many things that we spoke on where you don't give a fuck. I'm glad that you, you know, realized, nah, man, I don't give a fuck, and you went forward for yourself. It's really awesome. Yeah, life is that's that's what life is like. First thing, you you make a shit ton of fucking mistakes. If I didn't make all these mistakes, I wouldn't be here. And I used to be the person where I would I would have the it, I would be I was the prime example of a person that used to look back on nostalgia things and just be like, "Fuck, I wish I didn't do that." Oh my god, fucking woe is me. That shit ruins your life. That will ruin your fucking life. If you think about if you just get stuck in a time frame, you can ruin your entire life because you you can't let you can't let life like run you you have to run life so that was that was the thing where i had to learn that now i'm so glad that i made all these mistakes and made these not mistakes obviously these things that have become more successful because it's like man now i'm in a whole different mindset where it's now i know i could write whatever music i want i know i could push and i can make my career music um and i don't i don't have to work at fucking walgreens or whatever the fuck where you need like i i I don't even have a high school fucking diploma so it's like i'm glad that i i gave myself the ability to even do these things but it was a lot of hard work and you have to put in the work and a lot of people they just don't want to put in that work they don't want to put in the grind but you have to accept failure first of all and you you have to keep on pushing once you fail it's just another lesson that will help you in the future that is great advice. And I feel that people who are younger specifically need to take heed to this. There is, especially with stuff that we touched on earlier, this is a great kind of like centrifugal moment where so many different ideas musically and culturally are combining that it takes drive, the a little bit of creativity and the intuition to kind of decide a direction you want to push yourself and you can get there. Something you had said that needs to be spoken on just because I have been through it a lot in my life is people who do not have the same level of money often end up living with their parents longer. And Mm -hmm. there's this, there's this prescribed notion that a certain age that you can't have to, you can't be living at home. And I'm going to tell you um, specifically in my family, and plenty of my friends' families where, you know, we didn't have the same kind of like level of wealth where, you know, there was a time only 10 years ago, right after I got off a of house arrest where 
I was living with my mother and my sister. I had a kid in the house. My sister had a kid in the house and me and my now wife, then just girlfriend were saving to move out. You know, um, this is what happens when you don't have the money. You got to pull together as a family. And I think being a strong family and not being prideful is what got a lot of myself, my sister, my mother. And obviously now everybody has their own space, but that's, that's one of the most communal aspects of my, my life and my family, you know, like said, my father wasn't in our lives for a lot of it. And it was my mother, my sister and myself, and we, we had to take care of each other. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I mean, it's, it's one thing if you're, you are making money and you just choose to not live and your parents are like, Oh, this guy's a piece of shit, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of times what happens is, and I'm going through that with my friends because we're older than you guys is my friends are now living with their parents or their single mom and they're taking care of them. They're paying all the bills because the mom's getting older, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's what happens in cycles of family. You know, when you're younger, the parents take care of you. When you get older, you take care of the parents. So I don't see anything wrong with people living with their parents, especially, you know, I know if you were balling out, you'd be taking care of moms. You wouldn't be living with her, but it is what it is, you know? So when we talk about this is hardcore and, was there other shows with Jeffy or was that pretty much his last one? Or what was the end of Jeffy and the beginning of Kyler? Uh, so Kyler, Kyler was on the band or in the band playing bass for uh, quite some time, honestly, since 2017, he, he, or not 2017, sorry, 2018, he was, he was playing bass for us. Um, so he was already in the band helping even doing some vocals, but Jeff, uh, after the Mice and Men tour, that's when the he split from the band. So after that, we just uh, recorded the vo- the re-recorded the vocals for the album with Kyler, and that's how that whole thing started. But obviously, me and Jeff are still fucking. I, I just got off Facetime with him like yesterday. <laughs> nah, you guys are uh, you guys are too linked together to not uh, stay friends. And I'm glad that the internet didn't get too stupid and involved and try to tra- change it around. It's incredible to me that you would go from playing this hardcore and you like obviously you played with a ton of hardcore bands, but it, it's incredible that you would also do like do a tour like of Mace and Men. How well were you guys received on that tour? Hmm. It was it was an interesting one. Um it was it was the bands loved us. Uh but the crowds they were they were kind of hard, definitely. They were kind of hard in the beginning. I think we started we started to realize like how we had to play to to kind of get those kids into us and we we did conquer it. Don't don't worry, we conquered them, but uh in the beginning it was definitely uh, a harder tour to kind of show what we were doing and and get those kids into us. That's another aspect of touring that comes with bands is especially when you're on a tour with the mixed bill um you're going to have to find what works and what doesn't for everybody. And especially yep. within blood bather and what you're trying to do with blood bather, you're going to be in these positions. So I think earlier on, it's obviously better. Was that one of the last things you guys did pre COVID or was there, I remember you guys came out here on, um, you guys came out here on a weekday at voltage. Yeah. Was that your last that tour before that was your last tour before COVID? Yeah, sadly. I've honestly, I'm so mad if COVID happened because we were supposed to do like a lot of work this year, but you know, you gotta, you gotta push through, you gotta do different things now. But yeah, that was the last, 
pre-COVID tour. Now, I know 2020 is the year that everybody is going to say fuck forever. And what you said is so much in line with what so many of my friends and so many people like, this is the fucking year. It's 2020. I mean, there's so many records that were on the 20 years, 30 years. There's so many things that just got disrupted. Do you feel ignited on the idea of 2021? Things are going to be back in place and you're going to be running hard or how are you looking at the band and what you're going to push forward with when the gates open back up? It definitely, it, it was, a, even though it was, it's been awful, obviously it's not been good. Um, it was a good life realization type thing where it was like, it, it, it made me kind of rearrange some things and, and figure out exactly what I need to be doing during 2021 and and when shows are coming back and it gave me even more of a like when shows are back it's not only will i be at every fucking show i don't care if i have to wear a fucking hazmat suit i'm going to be at all the the shows that are safe to go to with safe in quotations whatever um i i can't wait because it's going to be like i feel like it will ignite people more to go to shows because it's like now we've been without them for how many months seven months eight months and it's such an art that that I, it's it's like a shows are beautiful. It's a beautiful fucking thing, and now people get what it's like to not have it. And I think when we finally have it again, it's gonna be like kids getting candy. Like it's gonna be fucking fuck. Like we miss this so much. I hope it's like that. But that's how it's like it for for me. Where it's just I can't wait till I can start booking shows again and touring. And it it's just like. It was it was another thing that made me realize how sacred music is and how important it is. I completely agree. In fact, um, Shadow Realm had played a show in Pittsburgh with FaceRec uh, about four months ago, and what we were initially hoping because Pittsburgh went to full green light, and yeah. uh, that that was going to be the beginning. What I saw was people who were anxious at first because the masks. Yeah. Afraid to walk up and say hi. Then a other people like here, come on, give me a big hug. I miss you. And yeah. I mean, at that point, we were only at three months with no shows. The moshing was very fucking aggressive, but I would expect that yeah. Pittsburgh and Shadow Realm. Yeah. But I, I really want well, my my biggest worry, and I always say this in like more vulgar scenarios, like if you sit there and, and this is a big internet thing that's been happening for 20 years. My generation didn't sit here on the internet and tell everybody when this fucking band plays, we're going to kill everybody. And every day, just talk about it. We just fucking yeah. did it. I'm so nervous about the first show in that everyone's going to be so ca like self-capital. Like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. And then it's like, wah, 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 you know, and yeah. then um, from my experience with jujitsu, which is obviously at, we've been back for three months. Our academy is only now starting to get the similar numbers, but we're still a little bit lower than what we previously had pre-COVID because I still believe that when it opens, it's not going to be like today is opening day. There's going to be yeah. there's going to be incremental places and incremental spots where you're going to be able to do this, but not that. So it's going to be baby steps towards the thing. And so you had echoed what a lot of bands had said, and it's really important that people understand like, this shit is sacred. I mean, I, I always say we're living on the legacy of four decades now of hardcore and punk and fucking metal. And mm -hmm. for me, 
I I I I grew up in this scene. Everything that I love in life came from hardcore. And that's why I'm putting the efforts into this podcast and talking to people because this thing has reminded me of just again the importance of it to so many people, whether they're old friends or new friends like yourself, just how much this the same thing drives you that drove me and continues to drive me. And yep. I feel like with social media and with the amount of polarizations throughout internet that people in hardcore have been stretched thin against each other instead of realizing like we can have a disagreement, but when it all comes back around, we're in a very, very, very small community as opposed to even people who just like certain hobbies. We're still smaller. Our community is smaller. And I hope that when everybody gets back together, what was on the internet, what was on the internet is not considered like beef on site. Like people can just go back to before that time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I want to see that side instead of the immediately like, I'm still mad at you from something you wrote, blah, blah, blah. It's, it would just be good to kind of woken everybody back up and open arms. And I hope that that's what the case is. Same. I mean, the internet is a blessing and a curse. Obviously it's the only reason why my band is where we're at, but obviously it has. Why do you so say many that? Fucking- uh, Cause I don't think, I don't think we would be as, I don't think we would even exist without the internet to an extent. Cause it's like, I wouldn't have learned how to play guitar. Um, I wouldn't be able to book those tours. Maybe I would have found a way, but I still think that the internet is, it just helps. It just like the whole mixing thing and just learning how to do all these things. I don't know if I would have had that same knowledge if I didn't have the internet. And I don't know if I would have had the same drive, I guess, because I maybe, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where you don't know, but I, I attribute a lot of it to the internet. Cause I think the internet has just been super powerful tool, but um, I do hope that people kind of start realizing that not only is there a life outside the internet, because a lot of people don't fucking realize that, that there's a life outside of Twitter. Um, but I hope people kind of realize that not only do things have to come back for musicians, because musicians were the first ones to do the fucking benefit shows. There's no benefit shows for the musicians right now. You know what I mean? A lot of people, they're feeding their kids with this shit and, and this is their life. And they had to put it on pause where it's like, when next year comes around, let's say there's not a vaccine, we need to start doing shows. And I know there's going to be kids that are going to be like, oh, well, fuck this fucking band. They're doing this fucking show. And don't you know that fucking two people died from COVID yesterday and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you, you have to understand the full element of, of, of what's going on. And also with COVID, it's like people are getting insanely fucking depressed because you're not seeing your friends. You're not seeing some of your family, blah, blah, blah. You're not being able to live your life the way that you were before where it's just like, as long as it's a scene where we're trying to play it as safe as we can, but also make sure that it comes back is it's super important. And there's some people, the internet kids that they don't even fucking go to the shows. We both know this. Like there's some people that fucking there, they claim all this shit. They don't even come to the shows where they don't even want anything to come back because they're going to have to face the people that they talk shit about on the internet at the shows and they're, they're not even going to be there. So you gotta, it, it's one of those weird things where the internet is a blessing and a curse, but I think the real, the real people are going to be the first ones at the shows. And I know I'm going to be there once we can. No, I agree wholeheartedly. And for me, the way I'm looking at this is the same way I looked at this in July. When we try to shift, this is hardcore from the venue 
that we previously mm-hmm. had to an outside skate park was that we were going to do everything we can to keep it safe, but make it happen. And then yeah. to use the vernacular of our times, reading the room, even if we were going to be able to legally pull it off with no f- legal ramifications and lawsuits after the fact, the people weren't into it. Yeah. And I know that the pendulum will shift and what will happen is the first show or so in a certain area, three crowds, the crowd that goes, I don't know. It might be sketchy. I'll sit this one out. Let's see how it works. There's going to be the fuck yeah, I don't care. And you're going to have people traveling far just to do something. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have the people, like you said, the internet warriors that really aren't adding to the whole thing besides what they do on the internet to propel themselves. They're yeah. going to put it down. And then what's going to happen is something that they like or someone that they're friends with does something. And then they're going to be like, oh my God, it's finally so great to be back. And it's like, well, we've already been doing it. Yeah. And I've heard it from enough people off, off the podcast and just in conversations that the wind, the, the people, musicians, especially, and a lot of other positions, like, you know, businesses and trades, you know, different, different pursuits. This is how they feed their families. This is how the roof is over the head. And in a certain point in the future, we're not talking 10 months from now, we're talking in the next six to eight months there's going to be a level of fuck it in this country because people cannot sit and wait for the government to give the money Mm -hmm. and they can't sit back and be isolated from everybody. I haven't seen my mother or my sister since this whole thing. Uh, Actually, I see my mother when she, she thought she had COVID and I was dropping off groceries and Mm -hmm. I was like, "Uh, exchange like, hello, I love you. I hope you don't have it. And you know, she came up negative and I was bringing groceries so she could be quarantined. But you know, like, the people can only sit back so long and let the government tell them how to be. And you're just going to have to deal with it. And it, and I think that collectively there will be people like you had said earlier, I'm afraid of what everyone else will say. Those folks won't play. Yeah. There will be people who won't come. I'm afraid of whatever else says. And then there's going to be this swath of people like, I don't care what any of you have to say about what I'm going to do. I'm going to fucking do it. I think it's going to start secretively in small places Small, smaller rooms and, and smaller engagements like the one we had played in Pittsburgh that was completely legal. Then you're going to see it, and then you're going to one day be like, boom, it's going to be back. And I think one of the things that I'm not looking forward to is the concert industry overloading and swamping us. Yeah. Which, because everybody wants to get back to work, and it's like, hey, man, not everybody has the same disposable income. So I think there's going to be a balance that needs to be played. Um, One of the things that I always get to towards this stage in the process of this podcast is just sort of throw a bunch of quick questions. Do you feel that you will stay within the metallic sounding music? Or do you feel like at some point, if given the opportunity to chase actual money, like, like real money doing beats or maybe some industrial MIDI type synth stuff, do you feel confident that you would be able to pursue that and you wouldn't, you wouldn't think like, Oh, I don't want to sell out. Personally. I mean, during quarantine, I started writing like a, a solo type of industrial project to branch off of what I'm doing, but I always want to keep blood bather really pure. I think that's the best bands that I like 
are the bands that stay true to their sound. Obviously, I obviously incorporate those sounds, but Bloodbather is going to be Bloodbather the entirety of the band. And when we need to call it quits or whatever, we're going to call it quits, like when it's not fun anymore. But this is like this is like a pure endeavor. I know I'm not going to make money with this. Like this is not the money maker, but this is my passion. So Bloodbather is going to st- uh, sound how Bloodbather needs to sound uh, for it to still be fun. So it's it's always going to be the breakdowns, the panic chords, the fun shit. Did you have any help getting yourself onto Rise Records? No, <laughs> not even a little bit. Like. Um, this is a story that nobody knows. We had a manager and, um, I don't think I could say the name of the other record label. Some two record labels hit us up through the manager and basically they both didn't work out. Um, played that Attila tour, Warp tour, this is hardcore even was no label help at all. Um, that was all just us in marketing and, and us knowing people and all that shit. Um, but our manager asked, actually left our fucking he, he left the team because he couldn't because we, we weren't making any money. And as a manager, you have to make money with the band to stay. I don't know. He said some, some shit like that. You have to have the band has to be making money for him to still put it on the roster. So he was like, yo, maybe in the future I could come back. But right now I can't. Within a week, Rise hit up our manager and was like, we want this fucking band. And then he was like, oh, shit. Okay, well, that was quick. So then we signed a rise. So it was it was rise finding out about us. It wasn't even like it wasn't us like sending our fucking shit to a bunch of people like rise found out about us and then contacted us through the manager. Are you still working with the manager now? No, actually not. He fucking he works with like Jay-Z's label now, Rock Nation. So we're we're unmanaged. We haven't been managed by him for a while now. Uh, what were the pros? What were the cons of having a manager? And would you look for a relationship like that in the future? Pros um, obviously helped propelled us to, to, to some, you know, stations and, and outlets or whatever and tours um, helped us kind of like branch out and figure out like, I guess what, what our, our thing is um, cons uh I'm trying to think definitely like did a tour that i didn't want to have to do to like do a favor you know because there's favors in the industry um it's, it's i guess it sometimes makes it a little less fun you know what i mean where it becomes more of a job thing and more of a uh you have to do blah 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 and blah 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 but that did that's also a pro because it, it helps you realize that this is a business too um would I get another one in the future? Yes. Um, but I don't think we need one right now. You know what I mean? I don't, if I don't think we need it, then we don't need it. So we don't need it right now. So in the future if some fucking awesome manager that we all fuck with that has, you know, other bands that sound like us that we, we can put our trust into hits us up. Yes. But right now I, I don't think we need one. And I, I, I love doing it DIY. It's always been DIY. So we're still doing it DIY. It's really cool that you're on Rise because also obviously American Nightmare is on Rise, and I find oh it yeah really- fuck that's it such such a fucking inspiration fucking Cold Cave is another one of those like that guy is so fucking inspirational man Wesley or I think that's his name I yeah fucking forgot yeah he's 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 such an inspiration and I actually went to a Cold Cave show and I was like yo we're also on Rise 
American Nightmare, that's like, so fucking sick. And seeing that show, like how much he puts the hardcore side into Cold Cave of like, he's like gone the audience and was like fucking basically like stage dove into the audience, like singing the lyrics, pointing the microphone at everybody. Like, it's so fucking sick to see how he's, however old he is now, he's a person that's pushed to do, you know, things with, I know he has that disability with his arm and he's fucking doing synth pop and doing all these things. Like, it's so fucking sick to see. He's such an inspiration. Sorry, I had to fucking cut into there. No, 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 no. Um, my brother Max was heavily involved in Cold Cave uh, up until a couple years ago and then early, early on as well. And Cold Cave is one of these things that I think people didn't know what was going to come out of it. But it's insane to me to think that they are now universally respected and loved. And yep. it was actually because of Cold Cave that some of the other stuff actually, you know what? And this is going to sound really interesting is Gibby from Panic, who is the fucking man, like may have started social media with Makeout Club, obviously sang in the Panic. Uh, um, he his label put a day is putting out like some of the coolest shit of that entire genre and newer bands. There's something cool about today where kids are open minded to check out things that are just outside of the hardcore world. Cause yep. we were coming up, we were going to goth nights and we were listening to different music, but it was not really, it was not really universal, but I think the one blessing of the internet and the shuffle mentality of genres is that people have a more well-rounded idea of music and more open to these kind of ideas. And I think that's going to lend heavily in your behalf because you being so creative, you're going to be able to write some things that might go over well with a cold cave crowd or to the, you know, some of the darker or crazy, I mean, maybe in the crazier thawing gristle type crazy industrial shit. I think that you have the capacity in you creatively and the drive to perform these kind of things. And I, and it's cool that a hardcore world is open-minded to that. Yeah. And it's, it's, I feel like there's also a lot of things that hardcore and the goth scene have in common where like we have the kitchen club down here, which is a, a, a goth night thing that's been going on literally since the eighties. And it's still a thing. And obviously now with COVID, it hasn't been a thing, but like uh, kitchen club nights at fucking Churchill's Churchill's pub being one of these fucking venues that's been here forever. And it, it's still uh, a thing where like these goths fucking basically 50, 60 year olds are coming to my goth night. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't go to some of these goth nights when I was 20 because they were 21 plus, And I was like, fuck this. I'm going to make an all ages goth night. I started doing my goth night, which is another thing I had to push for. And I had to work hard at, I did a goth night that had more people that than than those fucking nights and a bunch of old people that are fucking telling me, yo, I'm so glad you're doing this. I fucking, I've been going to goth, club since the fucking 80s and 90s blah blah blah. this has been so sick i'm so glad that you you made it seem like how it was back in the day like you did your research you're playing the songs that we would listen to back in the day and it's the same thing as with hardcore is is you know you have to pay homage to to the ogs and the you know what i mean and goth is like the same thing where it's these people care about the fucking scene just as much as hardcore and they want to preserve it but they also want to have these new kids come in know what they're doing and respect what they're doing but also create something that can that can make it withstand, make it, it it still be a thing in 2050, which I hope is the same thing with hardcore goth, all these beautiful fucking things. I hope that they're 
still things in the future and that we can look back and then we can look forward and, and just still be excited just as the same amount. No, that is absolutely what happens. Um, it's an interesting thing to say the word subculture because of so yep. many, so many doors being open and I won't even, I won't even derail this good conversation and talking about the inability for something to be gatekeeped when you just Google it and it's right in front of you, you can buy it. But the subculture genres and the people that are subculture types are really, as we go back to earlier in the conversation, we're really out of step with regular society and they feel most comfortable. And, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a goth concert or the goth night, the goth night has always been like the social weekly or monthly thing, depending on where you live. Yep. And I think that obviously in today's modern internet culture, goth is a, a style not seen as an actual social culture, but, you know, growing up, going to goth nights and growing up with legit people, that was their whole entire thing that you understand it to be parallel, like a parallel universe to hardcore punk. And that Mm -hmm. was the kind of world that we grew up in, you know? Um, And it's hard to see it in 2020, but it's a factual thing that the same, love the same dedication the same underground aspect is there in that world and so i'm not surprised that you're able to do the same thing you were doing in hardcore with goth and one of the things that i really loved about fya was that afterwards both nights castle yeah it was like well that was something that we would do wednesday nights in philadelphia at shampoo because there was all ages goth room and they would have the 12 o'clock mosh and they play three songs and there'd be like a push pit or there'd be the eighties room. And like you either had a girlfriend who wanted to go to eighties night or you wanted to find a girl. So guess what? You're going to eighties night. You're dealing with goss yeah. and because I grown up, you know, at the time I was like 20 something, but like I was going to goth night at 14 years old, all ages. So like I knew a ton of people from that world and I'd be like, this is fucking great. You know, like, it's it's always interesting to see the openness that I thought was not there when I was younger being applied. And a lot of that a lot of that has to do, I think, just with the internet. Yeah, and it's it's so sick to see because it's like when I was doing those goth nights, I so I started doing them at 20. Like I would there was these new kids that now even like bloodbather and go to hardcore shows and shit. And it's it's so fucking sick. So I remember this this parent, right? She brought her kid. So two parents, they're like 50 or 40 or something, bringing their uh, their kid that's like, I think 13 she was, all goth dressed out. And she's like, the parent was just like, this is what I used to do when I was a kid. And I'm, I'm like, I'm so glad that I can bring my daughter here and she's safe and, and, and I could share this with her and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, that's just what this is all about is just introducing, you know, something genuine to the younger culture. And, and it's, it's still cool. It's still a cool thing. And it's still a thing that's hopefully going to last forever. If, if we, if we keep it, you know, as genuine as it is. So I love doing goth nights, every single goth night I do. Oh, it always has to be all ages. Once the old venue that I had, I had to try to find a new one. I've only wanted an all ages venue. Cause I always think it's fucking super important that high school kids come to these things, 15 to fucking 18 or whatever the fuck. And, and experience these things because these, that that's the times where these kids are they need to find this music you know what i mean because they they only have what they're hearing on fucking tiktok and the people are doing the dances and shit 
You know what I mean? They need to hear that this this stuff is a thing and it's still really genuine and pure and they could express themselves with these outlets. So I, th- I think it's super fucking important, whether it be goth or hardcore. I think it's important that even that the goth thing can introduce people into hardcore. And, and I'm just I'm glad that I could still do all this stuff. And I, I, that's another reason why I can't wait until it comes back, because I think it's so important to keep all these kids interested in subcultures where they know that they could have this for the rest of their fucking lives if they take care of it and if they love it enough. No, I agree wholeheartedly. And I feel every way the exact same thing that it's always been hard to work with some clubs when they wanted to do 21 plus, but the really the heart of these things are in all ages because when we can expose younger folks to these ideas and these uh, environments where it's not as judgmental and you kind of be more of yourself, you can develop yourself at a much younger age, I was lucky to have a mother that understood that being in the hood where people are getting shot over drugs was more dangerous than going to concerts. So I had a freer reign to go down to South Street in Philadelphia and go to concerts mm-hmm. with friends who were older, go to the goth nights on Sundays because, in her mind, she, you're not sitting on the corner getting in trouble doing drugs. So get the fuck out of the neighborhood. Yeah, I feel that one of the things that we start taking on you as a goth show promoter, when you do your own shows here and us as promoters up here is that we're fostering a new generation. And that comes with a lot of responsibility of making sure that the places that we use and what the, the kind of environment that we have curate are open to this stuff. And I find that one of the things that I was able to do with blood bather at this hardcore is very similar in that it's hard to stretch out, past what other people's ideas of hardcore is or what is acceptable on this is hardcore and i can listen to you guys i go oh yeah there's about 15 hardcore bands i can list on top of my head that have things that blood bather has in their songs so i don't see the the gap but one of the cool things that your band allowed me to do was showcase like hey this goes wider than what you think it does and this band is still under this umbrella and I, yep. and I wanted, I really wanted to thank you just for giving us, I know it's easy to say, yeah, we're going to play a big fest and a big show, but you got to understand like there are bands who would be like, I don't think it's going to go over so well, or, you know, that's not really our thing, but you guys were so fucking open-minded. And so what that gave me was the opportunity to expand on what we can do with bands that are not, you know, obviously if I did like a giant bigger band like I, like that band attila might get some shit for that but you know people are like oh well they're a big band it makes sense they're playing but i think having a band coming up that was birthed in diy and still driven by diy but has an aesthetic view that's a little bit different and has sounds that doesn't exactly gorilla biscuits and i think you actually you guys played the night of code because i thought that would work best but you yeah. guys play with you guys end up playing a weekend that had both chromags gorilla biscuits saves a day agnostic front like yep. all these different sounds and I love that Blood Bather was able to fit into that. And I just really appreciate you guys making the, you know, the the leap of faith because some bands are saying, I don't think we fit and have that self-doubt. But the one thing I got out of this conversation is that you are completely confident and that there is a lot of maybe quiet self-doubt, but that you always push through it. And I hope that anyone listened heard heard that. Um I really appreciate Definitely. you being on the show. This has been a really great conversation because you and I go back and forth on Twitter and obviously you played the fest, but just having this time to talk about your life and knowing now the story even deeper, I have a deeper appreciation and, and I feel, and I hope you feel the same way. Like 
you and I have actually have way more in common than we ever even thought till we had this conversation. So I just wanted to say thank you for coming on the show and that thank you for exposing some of the lesser known things about you personally and also the origin of the bands to everybody. And it just means a lot when people are open and willing to talk about things deeper than the new record, you know? Definitely. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Obviously I have an immense amount of respect for what you do and, and, thank you so much for fucking putting us on this is hardcore that was like one of the best shows of my life one of the best weekends of my life because we obviously you know we went to the the whole entire thing um it was it was fucking beautiful it was awesome it got me hyped again for new bands new music and and i'm just i'm glad that i could have this conversation with you i fucking i really appreciate it I want you to be able to shout out your um social medias in any way you want people to contact you look up the band and then also you know, put out anything out there that you want people to look up and then uh, we'll wrap this one up, man. Definitely. Uh, social medias, all of my shit is Salem Vex. Uh, so Instagram, Salem Vex, Twitter, Salem Vex, all the blood bather shit. Somehow we got blood bather. So blood bather on everything. Um, cool shit. I have a, I have a metal playlist that has a lot of metal bands that I listen to. I update it a bunch of times. You just put in Salem Vex metal playlist on fucking uh, Spotify I have the same thing with my goth night. If you look up a bat dash uh, house, so bat house uh, by Salem Vex, it'll pop up. Uh, if you want to get into some more gothier stuff and, you know, just fucking pay attention, pay attention to music um, and, and support your local scenes. Cause that's how this shit keeps on going. No, man, I thank you. And I really appreciate it. And, and again, anyone who listens should just have, a deeper level respect if you already know Salem and Bloodbather or have grown to understand just to kind of drive in someone and you really fucked me up with the I didn't have the money for a guitar so I just went every day and that's probably something that is going to stick with me and I may have to tell people who come on the show after this that that's just like that's where we're at now where there's kids who have that much drive and thank you for the raising the bar on not giving up and not letting, you know, financial limitations or where you grow up or, you know, anything like you, you're more inspiring than you may realize. And your story was awesome. And I really can't wait for it to come out. And um, just thank you for being on the show, dude. Appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. All right, man. Take care. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed taking part in it. Salem is an amazing person who, taught me a lot about finding the similarities and being honest in a world where people want you to conform. If nothing else, that I think there's a lot of lessons to be said about how to hustle, fake it till you make it, and constantly innovating and pushing yourself to learn new skills, and also challenging yourself with things that might seem difficult at first. This has been a lot of fun, and I hope that you check out the band Bloodbather and also just check out Salem in general. Remember again, next week we have Anthony Moreshi from Don't Stand in Line. We talked earlier on a podcast. It was kind of like a short ad where he and I talked about it. And I'll just say that you can go to codecprojects.com or codecprojects on Instagram. You can pre-sale now. It'll come out next week on Friday. The digital download will be emailed to you. This is really high quality stuff. 
The guy's an Emmy-nominated director. He um, completely funded this entire project. Think of it like a Netflix docu-series on hardcore people who have a creative and entrepreneurial streak. Chris Wren, Sonny Singh, our first two guests on the podcast are a part of it. And this thing's going to be awesome. And he was smart to break it into four separate pieces and trying to have you uh, check out three and a half hours like I would do in a regular podcast. So check out that now, pre-sale now, so that way it comes out. And Anthony Moreshi will be our next guest. He's going to air properly on 11-20, which is next Friday. Also, again, thanks to GHS Strings. You can find them at ghsstrings.com. Whether it's electric guitar, bass guitar, or acoustic guitar, these are American-made strings out of Michigan, sponsors of Rancid, the baddest motherfucking punk band on the planet, and, of course, Agnostic Front. You know who the fuck they are. Kings of American hardcore. Our boys, Mike Gallo, Craig Silverman, and Stigma. So, check out GHS Strings. Finally, as far as podcast stuff goes, we're going to have a lot of information next week on the beginning of opening up the Patreon stuff. You can always check us out at TIHC Fest on Instagram. Or no, that's our Twitter. Duh. This is Hardcore Fest is our Instagram and our Facebook. TIHC Fest is our Twitter. The Joe Hardcore on Instagram. And I don't know what the Twitter is. Come fucking find me. I really appreciate and do answer every single thing that gets hit up in the DMs or just in comments. Um... You can help us with the with the iTunes ratings by rating, you know, give us five stars, write a comment. I don't care if you just say, hey, fuck you, you're a jerk off, but give us the five stars and help us in where we get put on the iTunes thing. I don't really pay attention to that stuff, but I think as a podcaster, I'm supposed to be telling you to do that. Honestly, the biggest thing that you can do to help is when these episodes come out is that you share on social media that you checked it out because then you're telling people that you listen to it and maybe they'll also check it out. And of course, I said this in a previous episode, and I should remind you, if you go to TIHCpodcast.com, each one of our episodes has its own individual link, and in that page might have more links and different pictures and stuff about the episode that you're not going to get by just going to your podcaster, whether it's Apple, Amazon, Stitcher, Spotify. You know, this page is dedicated. It has a couple extra little things. Like, we have a ton of pictures from Irate, a ton of pictures from Dysphoria, um, Phil Irate's new band, Knights of the Black, their YouTube videos on that page. And we'll have some cool stuff from Salem as well on his TIHCpodcast.com page. So check that out. And thank you once again. And I'll catch up with you guys next week. Take care. <laughs>